0: What does motion sound like? With Kizikans Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get
1: a free pair of socks with your first order at kizikcom slash socks. The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world. Built
0: to keep us under control in order to change a human being. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dustin Gold Standard. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Monday going into Tuesday. We have a guest today who I met on Twitter. His name is Justin. You can find him over at Twitter at T N K underscore alone or just look at tnk alone and you'll find him fascinating person i spoke with him about an hour uh, a few days ago to talk about uh, what we discuss here on the show he had a past career in law enforcement working for a sheriff's department he's out in western colorado involved with ranching knows about farming uh, has a friend actually who has a cloud seeding machine, which is quite interesting. He said he doesn't know a lot about it, but I'm going to ask him because I find that to be fascinating. Many of us have researched chemtrails and cloud seeding and all that type of stuff over the years. So it's going to be a great conversation. Uh, I will update you guys tomorrow when I have the show with Wide Awake Jim on some of the stuff I've been doing around here at home, some of the experiences that I've had over the last few few days that have been uh mind-blowing really so let's jump right in to this conversation with justin justin how are you doing today sir i'm doing good how are you do- how are you i'm doing great so uh we just talked for a few minutes before the show i was trying to warm you up actually it's a little uh little secret here to the uh to the trade <laughs> so yeah i wanted to get into this that's good I- it's more- I- I'm sorry. What's that, sir? I say that's good. You need
1: to warm me up. It's cold out here.
0: <laughs> yes, I'm sure. As I've been talking to a lot of a lot of guests lately, I'm trying to bring port more people on from. Uh pain.tv slash gold, the platform I'm on. I met people on Twitter like yourself. Actually, I think you were the one that uh, tagged me and referred me to Coach Saji, the healing doc, who I had on the show. So thank you very much for that. And then there's some other people that you said, hey, these guys would make great guests that I've reached out to and I'm in contact with now. So I appreciate that. As I mentioned, we talked the other day for, for about an hour and um you, you called yourself, as I did, which is great, you know, 5, 10, 15 years ago, we called ourselves ultra-conservatives, and then I had just asked you before the show what you, what you would call yourself now. You said, I don't really like to put labels on myself, but I would have to say an anarchist. So why don't you talk a little bit about um, about how you came to call yourself an ultra-conservative back then, and a little bit about your former career in law enforcement. Sure.
1: Well, growing up here in Western Colorado, oh, I'm about an hour away from um, Grand Junction. Um, my dad was a rancher, ranch manager. Um, and so I was my fam- I'm fourth generation here in the Plateau Valley. And so that's pretty much what I did. I hated it. I But I grew up in it. I knew how to do it. I could do it. And my dad and I did not get along growing up. But um, Anyway, that being said, that's what I grew up in doing, and very conservative country. Um, Ronald Reagan was huge when I was a kid out here. Um, Mom and dad always watched all that stuff. You know, there was no Fox News or anything like that. We had three three or four channels on TV, but so I was raised in that, in a very conservative um, setting, you know, ranching, It's um, very small, knit community. Um, and then I, when I got out of high school, kind of rabbit trail a little bit. When I got out of high school, I went completely off the rails. I actually <laughs> was in a – I grew my hair long, had earrings, <laughs> was in a heavy metal band for about two years. And that all fell apart. I ended up in jail for having a warrant for a car accident I had with no insurance. And uh, moved back in with my folks. Um, got a job up here at the ski resort for – a while and then kind of just turned my life around and God decided I wanted to get into law enforcement. And so I worked for the Eagle County Sheriff's Office, um, where Vale is, for just uh, two months shy of 13 years, I did that job.
0: Okay. Hey, before you continue, Justin, I just wanted to bring this up. One, the Reagan thing, and you know, it's interesting because I was actually born the day before Ronald Reagan was sworn in January 19th 1981 it was the day that the hostages were being released by Iran which I found out Mm -hmm. during a a little project I had to do I don't know in sixth or seventh grade or something where you had to look up microfiche and figure out what happened on the day you were born so uh yes I was born the day before the day before Reagan was sworn in and then you bring up the uh, long hair and the earrings Uh, you know you got into law enforcement my father was a cop and then has been a private investigator pretty much my whole life so I, I was always rebelling against uh, against my father when I was a kid. And, and I was a mix between sort of a right brain, left brain, and then sort of a conservative and a liberal because my mom was more on the art side. My father was more the cop jock. So I was a blend of the two. So I was varsity basketball player in freshman year, but I looked like Marilyn Manson. And so I had a rock band. I had a rock band as well. I uh, went out and I would say, I, I've been honest with the folks here on the show i went out i experimented with uh with many substances over the years i ended up going to college uh art college but for industrial design it was about 20 years old i finally decided to leave all that stuff behind but um i I think Uh for me if i didn't do all that and i didn't experience all that craziness when i was was younger i don't think i would have grown into what uh what i am am today you know i i think that's that's just part of my journey
1: I hear you completely. It, it's too too similar. That's that's uncanny, actually.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, people, it, people, it, people it, wouldn't believe yeah, it if they the saw photographs. Of, yeah, people wouldn't believe it if they saw photographs of me uh, back in high school. Uh, hopefully, those are not on <laughs> Facebook. I hope nobody has posted those. <laughs> I actually got some, and
1: what's funny is after I got into law enforcement. Somehow, some way, we were at a some kind of a meeting, and had the sheriff had old oh, pictures and stuff. And somehow, he showed a picture of me when I was on stage. I had my Lakers jersey on, black pants, long blonde hair up on stage playing bass. And I'm like, "How in the flip did this guy end up with this <laughs> picture?" <laughs> Nobody knew who it was, you know. But
0: <laughs> yeah, when I
1: when I was uh, about yeah. twenty,
0: I think I was about. 23 or 24 i had gone to college in philadelphia and ended up going back to connecticut where i was from Uh, i was working for this company as a commercial artist and then i started my own marketing design firm and then somewhere in there i don't know why i got the urge i i think it was when i started to become uh, more interested in politics and started to become more conservative i had this urge to want to be a police officer and all my father's buddies are all uh were cops or retired cops or ex-cops and then pis and worked as investigators for insurance companies and such and all of his friends sons that i grew up with were all becoming cops and i said you know i'm gonna do this so i started training with a friend of mine working out at the gym and you know i'd cut my hair i was ready to be a cop my father who had battled the city of new haven connecticut when he was a cop and battled the union and got all all these political bro my father said to me listen you are not cut out to take orders from other people. I was not, you have my DNA. Don't waste your time with this because you're going to go into it and 3 days later you're going to get in a fight <laughs> with all these people. It's not worth it. And so it lasted about 6 months and then when I was ready to go take the test, I said, "You know what? I think he's right. I better not go down this path." <laughs> right? <laughs> of, yeah, course a, been, uh, of course I would have been of course I would have been looking that's at how retirement. I got into it. I was going to say of course like I would have been of course I would have been looking at retirement you know within the next couple of years uh <laughs> if I if I did go down right. that path but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I got into it because of
1: because of a girl and it turned out she turned out to be my wife. She's a she's a teacher and she was a school teacher at that time and you know had a career and and I was a security guard at this local ski resort up here and I'm like I can't ask her to marry me if i don't have a career because security guard at a small ski resort is not going to cut it and i'd already went to college five years after i four years after i graduated i went to um college down here in grand junction for a semester and played football because i I played varsity all four years in high school and i'd I'd had scholarships for track and football when i graduated and i blew them off to get him to be a rock star and then, <laughs> so then I was like, I got to do this. And so I, when I went to college, I was like, I tried political science, and I'm like, I just I couldn't stomach it. It was mind numbing. <laughs> and so that's when I was like, I so i was like, I can I can be a cop. And I and I growing up here in you know Col- in the Colburn area, growing up we had a marshal, um, marshal Dillon and we call him to th- these days, and he's he's retired. And he was just just salt of the, he is a salt of the earth kind of guy. And I went and met with him and I'm like, you know, I'm thinking about getting into this career, you know, and he was a Lieutenant of investigations at that time. And he went and looked at my record and he said, no, there's nothing in there that'll, that'll keep you from doing the job. And so that's how I got into it. But yeah, it was, and then ended up marrying my wife. But yeah, then I just had to, I'm like, I got to have a career. I can't get married without having a career.
0: <laughs> so what, so how old were you when you became a deputy sheriff? 23. 23. Okay. And then and then I think you had mentioned yeah. you had done that for about 13 years?
1: Yes, yep.
0: And so yeah, I, you I had mentioned for- yeah, you had mentioned when we talked on the phone just some of the experiences you had and the sheriff you you worked for. Uh and and, and like a lot of people I think over the last few years I I think it grew out of um really the latest exposure to the Second Amendment issues, which was all around that, I think it was a January uh, Second Amendment march in Virginia. I was producing for an uh, Army veteran named Douglas DeCody at the time, so we did a lot of live streaming from that uh, march. But I think that was the beginning of when people saw that the sheriffs uh, were actually stepping outside of what was the traditional uh, political arm. They were creating all those uh, Second Amendment you know, constitution zones. So I was, I was kind of talking to you about that. Like, what was your experience working for the sheriff? Did you find it better than folks that you knew that were police officers working for a police chief who was a political appointee versus a sheriff that's elected?
1: Oh, absolutely. The, especially the sheriff that I had, I mean, he, he hired us and he, I, I think I told you, but you know, we had to have a, a yearly evaluation where you'd have to sit down with the sheriff and he'd go over everything, over the last year with you and we'd had a couple sergeants had left the department and we only had three sergeants and people were starting to get you know uh frustrated that there was no way to climb up in you know authority or you know to advance your career and i remember talking to him and saying you know why you know i think you ought to promote people to sergeant and so on and so forth and he would listen to me and he listened to everybody and he after i'd expressed myself in him. he said well i appreciate that now here's how you're wrong and he proceeded to say i spare no expense on the training for you guys you have all the best equipment that that is out there and that's a fact the, the budget for just the sheriff's office in 97 was over 14 million which is more than most counties so we had all the training we wanted if we wanted training he sent it to us or sent us to it and he said i remember him saying you know i, I hire intelligent people and i i i when i lay my head down on my pillow to go sleep at night i know that you're out there and you can handle everything and you can read my policies and procedures you know the law and if you don't know the law the book's right there you can look it up if you have any questions you can call me at three o'clock in the morning i don't care you know my number he said i don't need you to have somebody interpreting this stuff to you you can read it and you can understand it and i walked out of that meeting going how can you argue with a guy that That has absolute trust in you at least he expresses absolute trust that you can think for yourself and do the job and that was kind of a turning point one of the turning points in my life of you know thinking you know i mean i hate to say it but like when i was a kid i couldn't care less about science if it worked it worked i didn't care how it worked you know but so he he, and we had he was very much one to encourage people to think outside the box and there was guys that i worked with that they didn't even know there was a box. And then there was other guys that couldn't think outside the box because their life was completely framed and built up within the box. And you don't step outside that, you know, I mean, we all know those kind of people and that's kind of what that, like with the COVID deal. I mean, people don't step outside the box. If the government says you got to get the vaccine, vaccination, they do it. There, there's no question. They don't know their rights. You know, so to have that a bit, to have somebody help you and foster your thinking to think for yourself, to critically think,
0: that, that was that was big mm-hmm. yeah, so what is so what was it? Or, now did you start to consider yourself or labor yourself you know conservative or ultra conservative uh, during the years that you were working for the uh, sheriff's department or are you had you reached that stage by age twenty three
1: i was i I knew well us say I was raised very, very in a Christian family too, so you know that all goes in with that all together. I mean, you know, usually you can't have you can't be a Christian and not be conservative at least out here. And so I mean, that that was just my whole life. Even when I went off the rails, I always I just never did identify as anything other than a conservative. I mean, you know, in you know, in the 1990s that was unheard of, I'm sure there was nobody else like that, you know. But so it never really kind of grew. It just It just that's the way i was raised and i mean i remember being in my patrol car and listening to sean hannity rush limbaugh you know the whole political thing and i'd get home at the end of shift and i'm like just worn out not because necessarily the work which is a stressful job mentally but just getting worked up on all the crap and after a while i'm like i have to stop listening to this crap i really and i did i stopped listening to all that talk radio and it did my stress level went down i'm it's just it was kind of, you know i mean I remember the day that Obama got sworn into office you know i just it was a black day i knew the the world was coming to an end it 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 was not going to make it to sundown you know <laughs> that kind of feeling but <laughs> no it was just that's just how i how I was raised and how I always identified just as as a conservative you know all that kind of just that whole gamut of things
0: yeah it was it was uh i was involved with local politics in connecticut at the time i had built up an organization there called community watchdog project and i used to be on the radio and local news i was really battling this uh corrupt entrenched democrat mayor in the city of new haven and then this group that we had formed i had uh different co-founders and we ended up sparking a lot of investigations in the state legislature. It was a, it was a pretty effective organization. But the day that Obama was elected, I said, "All right, this is it. I'm stepping back." Because I had really spent two years, uh, you know, in media and battling and fighting. I wasn't making a living, and I had basically destroyed my marketing and web design business because all my clients in Connecticut were liberal or self-identified as liberal and they would see me on TV and they're like we can't we can't work with you anymore and so uh, when Obama got elected the Tea Party was starting to come to fruition and I said to all of our we had about 1300 members and I said listen go get involved with this Tea Party thing I've got to get back to my life I think I was 28 at the time Southern Poverty Law Center had labeled me in the top 20 nativists which was the way they would call you a racist basically back then and I'm like oh my god what did i do to myself i've got to like turn my life around and get back to work and so uh <laughs> right? and so obama really pushed me out of politics um you know, that, that was the first time around. But a year later, I had formed this corporate entertainment business and started developing and managing political impersonators for corporate events. So a year after I got out of politics, I had a Barack Obama, a Bill Clinton, a Sarah Palin, uh, all these different political characters I was renting out for po- uh, corporate parties and stuff like that. So I got back into politics, but... Sort of through a fun angle. It was actually a great time to see a bunch of people with smiles on their face at an after-dinner um, show that we would put on or at a trade show over an issue like politics where people would normally want to kill each other. So it was actually a, a fun fun right. business to get involved with. So you had mentioned to me on the phone, somewhere along the way, when you made the decision to leave law enforcement, you kind of look back on that time, as uh something that you i think you said you weren't necessarily so proud of it why was why was that considering you seem to work for a sheriff who who kind of got it or at least was was not as bad as uh many of these police chiefs you see out there
1: yeah it it's been a process that over the last well i left in january of 2010 to start my own business training horses and so since 2010, it's been just one, one layer of the onion getting pulled back constantly. But the last five years for me have really been life-changing um, in my journey. Um, and it wasn't until I really came across... Well, initially, when I was still there, I that's the thing I'm ashamed to admit. And most, unfortunately, most cops... Don't know the Constitution. We don't, you don't read it. It's just that's the only oath you take is to uphold the state Constitution and the national Constitution. There's nothing about upholding laws, nothing about enforcing laws. It's only about upholding the Constitution. But it's never discussed. I mean, you deal with the Fourth Amendment, you know, you deal with Colorado, like I say, it's a very, well, at that time it was a very conservative state. So, you knew everybody had a gun. Everybody. You just assumed everybody had a gun. Didn't worry about it. It's not a concern. That's just life. You know, everybody's got one. But you see that stuff changing, and we were doing things initially, well, when I was early on there, um, the county judge at the time had us, when we would um, make a domestic violence arrest, part of the questioning we would be there is, you would after you would make the arrest, and more often than not you're arresting the guy that's just kind of the way it was we were trained and taught to investigate we handled our own cases we were our own investigators for the most part because it was a smaller department you know less than 40 40 mm-hmm. road cops but we were trained to do all of our own investigation our own interrogation and you wanted to make sure you were arresting the right person so after the state i think it was the state changed some laws where nc colorado domestic violence is a shallow arrest there's, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. Somebody's going to jail if, there is a, if there's evidence of a crime. So we started end up, because of the way the evidence went, because we were encouraged to investigate on our own, a lot more women started going to jail. Well, the liberals didn't really appreciate that, and they didn't understand why that was. And, but anyway, when we were, we were going to the House, we, were invest- we would continue to ask questions. One of the questions we were supposed to ask was, are there any weapons in the House? And if they said yes, and generally this was after you'd already arrested the, the male or the, oh. and yeah, generally the male. And you'd ask the female, well, are there are any guns in the house? Well, yeah, there are. Well, where are they at? So you'd ask, and they're just, they're, they're blindly answering these questions. And then we would take the guns into custody, put them into safekeeping. And after a while, you start to realize this is wrong. Th- we are absolutely boldly violating people's Second Amendment rights. Mm-hmm. This has, And if, if this was a slap or a punch or something else, there's no weapon involved, no gun involved. We have no right, none, to take those weapons, but we were. And then we finally, we, that changed. But I started recognizing and realizing after looking at the Constitution, at least 95% of the laws on the books blatantly violate the Constitution. Violate it. They, they're, mm-hmm. they're completely perverted and we're out there enforcing it and i could not i just couldn't let myself do it anymore i'm like i can't do this so that's where i and i was really enjoying working on our place we have a small five acre place and i was really enjoying working on the land and doing what i was raised doing and so i was like i got to get out i I knew when i got into law enforcement it was not a career that i was going to do the rest of my life i've just i've done a variety of things while i was a deputy i got in in 1998 i i'm the person that if, if somebody says you can't do that i oh. will not think twice about it there's no thought i just do it and my sister-in-law said you know i was I had a friend that asked me we were doing the law enforcement torch run and he asked me he said hey you ever fight bulls and i'm like no he was why well, <laughs> go up to up to this this practice bull um bull riding practice pen every wednesday night you want to go and i'm like yeah sure and I was raised ranching, but I thought rodeo cowboys were just, you know, wusses. It's just, it's all, it's not for me. Literally the first time a bull hooked me, and, and this is, I mean, this is rodeo, this is bulls. The first one, time one hooked me, I was like, this is awesome. You know, I mean, I'm getting thrown through the air and I'm like, oh God, this is, this is a kill. This is, this is for me. So that turned into a 12-year thir- a professional career while I was a cop being in the PRC and the PBR as a, as a bullfighter, rodeo clown. I just didn't do the jokes.
2: <laughs> so I'm the,
1: I'm, I'm the person. Yeah, you just don't, don't tell me. If you tell me I have to, it, I'm, I will not move. I become a rock. If you tell me I can't, don't, I will kill myself to do it. And I've, I mean, now I'm 49 years old. with my body like that of a you know a 70 year old man sometimes because of that you know i mean (laughs) so yeah it's it's uh i don't know how i got on that or where i was going where we were going uh,
0: no that's great we didn't talk a bull a bullfighting rodeo clown deputy sheriff that's great no i want to ask you this though (laughs) so when when you were just talking about the um the Constitution there and realizing that you were mm-hmm. uh, taking part in practices that were in violation of people's constitutional rights and that, you know, 95% of the laws on the books are unconstitutional. Let me just ask you, from your perspective, if you take the the sheriff that you worked for, for instance, right? That guy isn't mm-hmm. waking up every day uh, looking in the mirror going, ha-ha! I'm going to go out there and violate people's constitutional rights today, uh, right? In your opinion, it's just that that people don't understand uh, because, like you said, they not only haven't they read, they haven't studied the Constitution. You're not taught the Constitution if you went through the public indoctrination center school system. I think even a lot of the homeschool folks I know, when you get into this, they don't they don't know how to teach. The constitution probably the most in-depth course that i've taken over the years just uh when i was interested more in the constitution probably 10 12 years ago was a one that hillsdale college does and i was sitting there kind of blown Mm. away saying to myself why isn't this taught in kindergarten you know i mean this should be the basis for what you're taught but you think most of the people and the guys you work with including yourself you're not going out every morning looking to violate people's constitutional rights it's just you're acting within a A system where no one ever learned it, nor do they understand it. Is that is that how you see it? Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely.
1: Yeah, and look, it's that's the thing. It's hard, you know. Even with everything that you start learning, when you start going down rabbit holes, one of the 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 discussions that my wife and I have, she's not on board with me on everything, but she's like, "How can you know? You're just how these people are, are. You saying these? You're saying these people are evil? I'm like, no." As it's just like when I was a cop, I didn't. Yeah, you're like you're saying, I didn't go. Okay, I get to go out there and violate people's rights. No, you think it's just the the whole oh lifestyle is not the right word. The whole environment, the whole environment around it is you're out there serving and protecting people, and that's all you think about. But yet you're violating people's rights left and right because. And and everybody says it. I, I cringe. I watch you know uh, Brian High, High Impact Flicks on YouTube, and they do a lot of that auditing and stuff. And they you know people videoing their stuff when they're in, in confrontations with cops, and it, it cr- makes me cringe. And I couldn't even watch it when I first started seeing them because I'm just like, oh my god, I saw myself standing there in uniform, and I'm sa- and I would say the same words. I'm just doing my job, and I'm like, that is that that is so lazy. It is so it it's 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 just wrong I mean how can we how we, how have we let ourselves get to the point where we're out there to protect and serve the public and yet we don't know we we really truly don't know what we're doing, and when we come up when you're in conversation with somebody you're you're in co- some kind of conflict or you're getting ready to arrest them and they give a very valid argument against you, inevitably they we they would say. I'm just doing my job and that's where it's at. You're doing your job, but you're, you're not, I was not. And I, I had a good heart. I was, I thought I was doing good by people. And when, you know, I can't even, you know, talking to people that are doing that job, you can see those guys that actually have that have that critical thinking skill in those areas. They, they literally, they're, they just, they shut down. You know, that's when things would get violent sometimes. But, and that's when I I started realizing I can't violate people's rights anymore. I I can't do this, Mm -hmm. you know, but no, by, by and large, they don't, that's not what they're thinking. You know, they think they're doing good by people, you know, just like the doctors with the vaccine, just like the doctors with the viruses, they think they're doing good, but they are heavily invested in the knowledge they have. They've gone through college, you know graduate school police academy you've been doing this job for so long you haven't you have put people into prison and to think that you have done wrong is literally unbearable yeah literally I, unbearable
0: I, exactly and, and this is a very complex uh discussion to have i mean i, I obviously talk a lot about very. technocracy and transhumanism and everything but over the years I think my my progression has gone from uh, like I said I was a jock artist in high school, long hair rock and roller. I I didn't consider myself liberal. I wasn't into politics. I was just a rebel. And so then you fall mm-hmm. into this yeah. sort of ultra conservative mold and then you start to break free of that uh, and you become more of a rebel again, you know. And so I I see it uh, like 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 it's it's funny you bring this up because I grew up around a lot of cops, right? Uh, with my, my father, I went in and mm-hmm. on a cop bars when I was a kid with him. He was a private investigator, so he'd be meeting with his cop buddies and getting information for them on different cases he was working on. And so I grew up and hearing all these different stories. Now, the, the, the vast majority, my dad would always say oh there's bad cops out there like vicious horrible guys but even with people like my father yeah. and his friends they believe they were like part of a team right they, they're the harlem globetrotters oh, yeah. and when they put on the uniform yeah. they're going out to beat the uh washington uh, generals or whatever the team was and and that's how they looked at it so you'd hear these stories Uh, And now when when you look at it in context and you understand uh, constitutional rights, and you go, oh my God, they were doing horrible stuff to people. I mean, look at the case of uh, Eric Gardner from 2014. He was the heavyset guy in New York City where he was selling the Lucy cigarettes and the cop uh, choked him to death. Now, it's the same thing with that cop. I never look at that cop as a guy who... Went and looked in the mirror this morning and said, I'm gonna go out and kill someone today in cold blood. He was enforcing right. a law right. that the politicians in New York put into place, which was all about taxes and not allowing people to sell Lucy cigarettes uh, because it was it wasn't gonna right. bring in the tax dollars. But that cop goes out there, uh, thinking, you know, I'm I'm saving the public against these law breaking people, and the next thing you know, that's what they're just manhandling folks, throwing them around. That one went a little too far, and the guy ended up getting killed but what happened back then we were so divided in this sort of uh, left right conservative liberal uh, stances and labels you couldn't have an honest conversation with anyone because i was in conservative circles at the no. time if i ever brought up the fact that wait a second uh you know that cop was in the wrong he should have said i'm not going to enforce these stupid laws that's how that's how it would have actually Uh, been solved from day one then i'm not going to go out and enforce these unconstitutional laws but they don't do that even though you said their oath is to the constitution the state and the federal constitution not to the laws that the politicians pass
1: exactly exactly but then we're so brainwashed well this is the system we're in this is and i had a sergeant that was like you know i remember him saying well the constitution is a living breathing thing and i'm like no it's not (laughs) <laughs> I didn't say that, but I'm like, no, it's not. But that's where we think. It's gotta change. It's got but if it changes, well it's just like Spooner. You know? The Constitution has either empowered the government that we have or has been powerless to prevent it. In either case, it's unfit to exist. The first time I read that I got you know listening to Legal Man, I'm like, what the hell is this? I'm like, you know, because you're raised the Constitution is some holy document. But it's when you start looking at not only the laws violate it, but there is even because you know you go through history. But when I was a kid, I didn't care about history. My wife did. But there was the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists. They didn't even agree on things. You know, Mm -hmm. there was there was no it was no our founding fathers. Well, they did this. Well, they did some of them did, and some of them didn't. You know, so there's there's always been that that friction. But we look back at history and we go, well, you know, all of our founding fathers were on board with this. No, they weren't. That's how yeah. we ended up with the Bill of Rights.
0: Exactly. You know, there did, was a there was, there was a fr- there there, there the was a Second friction. Amendment. But we believe there was a friction. But we believe in the fiction, and and generally, it's you know, people that identify as right. conservative latched on. Uh, to a certain fiction of the founding of the Constitution, but and and we think we own it, but yet there were liberal, so-called liberal, self-identifying liberal civil rights attorneys who believe that they're defenders of the Constitution, right? So they yeah. have their own sort of Absolutely. take on this thing. But when you go back, th- this is where I started to pull myself out of all of this was years ago. When I would listen to, you know, same Hannity, Rush Limbaugh, then eventually like Michael Savage, then Glenn Beck as he started to grow. And so you, you would latch mm-hmm. onto this idea of the restoration of america and it, it was long before i started listening to uh legal man he has the podcast the quash folks i've had him on the show a couple of times Br- brilliant guy and he covers uh as justin mm-hmm. just mentioned Lysander spooner who's written uh several pieces uh that's trial by jury if you want to learn about jury nullification and such and so um mm-hmm. When I started to realize that I was just a bumper sticker slogan idiot was when I talk about restoring America. And I say, well, wait a second. In our founding, there were 13 colonies, 2.5 million people, only a half a million voted. Now we're 3,000 miles wide. We have 375 million people, 700 military bases around the world, territories all over the place, uh, 50 states. I, we're not even the same thing. So how can we believe that yeah. we can restore America? Our, restoring America would mean bringing back slavery. Women don't vote. Only white uh, landowning men vote. Now, I, I've done shows on this, and I said I'm not taking a yeah. stand either way. I'm not saying if that stuff is right or wrong. But you can't believe you live in a system that is the same system of 1776 when it is not the same system at all. It's not that we're not in that system anymore. Exactly. That's long gone. Right. It, it, it's, it's, it
1: is. You're absolutely right. And that's hard to accept. It's hard to accept. And one of the things just that, you know, brings that up in my mind was I was standing at my park, my driveway here, uh, probably seven years ago, talking with my dad and dad was in the Viet, in Vietnam. He was in the 101st airborne. And he was standing there talking to me. And I remember him saying, he, quote him. He said, son, if I had known what this country was going to become, I would have never fought for it. And that damn near floored me. I'm like, who are you? I didn't say that, but I'm looking at him like, what just came out of his mouth? You know, but you're, you're right. It's not the same country that it was the 1776, let alone to the 1960s. I mean, look at how drastically things have changed since
0: just you and I were children. It's, it's, it's un- almost, it's unrecognizable. You know, it really is. Yeah, definitely. You know, and that's it it was uh, Thomas Paine, Mike Moore on the Thomas Paine podcast after the Fetterman um, Oz election, because Mike is is outside right outside of Philadelphia. And he had brought up uh, Mm -hmm. he's got a pretty big Twitter account. Used to have a bigger one, but it was it was banned and censored. And he had written something about he's sick and tired of the cities basically controlling who becomes the senator when the rest of the state of Pennsylvania is red. But that's what I pointed out. I said, listen, I ran all the numbers on the show. I said if you went back to the founding when only white landowning men voted, then your problem would be solved. Because if you look at home ownership in the cities versus the rural areas, I said but this is why like stop beating your head against the wall if you just go back in history yeah. and look, that's answers your question right there. I mean, that's why you can't yeah. win anymore. So you can't keep – this is yeah. why I try to tell folks. It's once you truly unplug from the matrix and you actually look at all the changes throughout history, not to say that system was right in the beginning. I'm just saying it answers the questions as to why you believe you're losing now because the system is different. It's completely yeah. changed, even in the way that we pick senators. You know, in 1913 in this country yeah. – we created the Federal Reserve. We really, uh... Uh, beefed up the IRS. It had sort of existed in different forms. We created income tax and we changed how we select senators. Mm-hmm. Senators were selected by your state yeah. legislature. So you voted for your state uh, representative, then they got together, they picked the senator. That automatically created term limits because a guy would serve one term, they'd pull him out, they wanted a new guy in, everybody wanted their chance at having a little power. So once we changed that and made it a statewide race, that completely changed it. You have the, the senators, it, it's not even the same system anymore it's not the same system you know right and people like yep. you said have You're a very exactly hard right. time accepting this because we tend to and i find this more with uh, people that identify as conservative or maga or trumpers mm-hmm. uh, you know in in modern history here Uh, have a hard time because they have this sort of nostalgia in their head. But I think they're even looking at or believing in a system that never actually existed. I think it's pretty much a fiction inside their head.
1: It it truly is. You're absolutely. But that's part of, that's part of, I know, you know, just listening to you talk about your history, your life, it's, that's a hard truth to come to. It, It is. I went to the same thing. You know, a lot of people that I'm running across, on social media it, you're seeing that there it, and I think I came with this several years ago it, it came in my mind I'm like you know seeing the truth is pretty easy but leaving the lies that's dang near impossible and it really is I mean and I don't, I'm not saying that you may recognize the truth but you can see it now what you do with it and mostly more often than not and if you look at like you say the matrix you look at the political the political system the financial system Uh, the food system, everything. It's emotional. It's emotion-based. They get us, you know, it's the whole red ant, black ant in a jar deal. They don't do anything until you start shaking the jar. What's been going on in this freaking world for the last, you know, 20 years, especially the last three years, they're shaking the hell out of the jar and everybody's at each other's throat. There's no critical thinking until you can step back and think about it. And, Because if you're emotional, you're not going to make rational decisions. You you just can't.
0: No, you can't. And it used to be conservatives that would criticize uh, liberals or it would be left brain folks, sort of analytical thinking folks that would criticize the right brain, more creative brain folks because we would say mm-hmm. oh look at the left they're so emotional they act on emotion but the people that identify in the right don't realize that they're doing the same exact thing you know they're doing they're doing the same thing now yeah. let me ask yeah. you this because you brought it up over the last um 20 years i would say particularly really really since uh, probably the obama presidency and then really under trump uh during the trump presidential race do you feel like There has been this intentional, and and I personally believe, my opinion is, the elites wanted this. This intentional lifting. Yep of the veil uh, to show that the system is corrupt. Uh, There's criminality, sedition, treason, you know, in the traditional sense going on all around us. Elections are fake, fraud everywhere. It doesn't even matter if there's fraud because both candidates you choose from don't represent you to begin with. Um, And they're intentionally doing this in a way to sort of debase the brand. I, I personally believe it's to make everyone eventually completely disgusted with the system, that they can then offer a new system, probably governance by an artificial intelligence or something like that. But it doesn't it feel like they've unveiled it uh, and allowed us to see more of it on purpose? And I know it's on purpose because the folks that we look at in the media and the people who have big voices in so-called independent media, they're they're all controlled as well. So they wouldn't be allowed to speak out and uncover all this if the system didn't want them to uncover all this. I feel like it's an intentional push to just completely debase the brand uh, and drive people sort of, oh, absolutely. you know, yeah, you see that?
1: Yeah, I do. It's, well, you look at who owns the media. I mean, look at who owns the media, who owns the pharmaceutical industry, who owns the medical industry. It's the same people, the same people own it. You know, and like you're saying, the, the controlled opposition, the gatekeepers, whatever they, you know, you start talking about things and I mean, first thing you're labeled as a conspiracy theorist. I mean, okay, I'll take that as a badge of honor at this point, you know, <laughs> but they don't. Yeah. I, it, and the way they, the things that are being thrown out, I, we don't even watch the news anymore. It's been years since we've even watched it, but, you know, being on Twitter and, you know, stuff here and there, you'll see that on YouTube, the things they throw out. You're just like, how, like the whole January 6th thing. I mean, I was, a, you know, did that job for 13 years in law enforcement. Okay. If that was the insurrection, where the hell are the weapons? <laughs> Why were the cops opening the doors? I mean, I remember, and I'm, this was, I was, I had, but when Trump got first, first got elected, I saw his connections because I was looking into stuff and I saw his connections with the Clintons and I saw all this stuff and I'm like, this guy's not, we don't want this. This isn't good. And I was still political at that time. Um, Mm -hmm. But you know, then, and I remember talking with friends, people that I'd worked with in law enforcement. And I'm like, this guy is not what you want. He's not. Then he gets in and I, I just, I just unplugged from it all. I'm like, I can't even watch this anymore. He was saying all the right things, but then I saw other things going on. And I'm like, this guy well, I mean, he—he's he, an actor, right? I mean, he had his own TV show. It was all drama. None of that stuff's real. And then you're looking, you're watching all this stuff, and I'm like, holy crap! You know, this is this is. It, everybody was all up in arms. Everybody was at each other's throat. You know, and now they don't. And it, it Biden. I mean, my God, <laughs> you know, you can't. Uh, I, you know, you just look at him and you go, How can anybody even? This guy belongs in a home. If he's really alive, he belongs in a freaking home. But no, he's still paraded on the public stage. There's, there's no people don't even care about it. They just accept it, hook, line, and sinker. They argue about their, you know, the the con, the constitutional conservatives argue their points, but they never get to the root of the problem. There's no, there's no getting to the root. There's no attempting to truly solve it because everybody's emotional. And I think you're absolutely right. They did want to start to reveal because it's going to get to the point where people are like we got to something's got to change and like your whole technocracy thing absolutely i mean i i didn't even know what bitcoin or anything crypto was until two years ago a friend of mine in canada got me into it and started looking into all that and the cbdc's they're not coming they're here they're already testing it you oh, know yeah. at the lower level in america every nation's looking into it you know and when, when you look at who won't you know the central banks I mean you got to look into that you know I mean I watched a 10-hour documentary from uh, truth truth stream media on YouTube it did a 10-hour documentary on the Federal Reserve from the beginning all the way to today well to a year ago and you just go holy crap and nothing's even hidden anymore it, it, they don't because I think they do want to change it they want to completely change it all I mean look at Elon Musk the guy's a complete puppet I mean he hates AI, but we got to do it. Sorry. <laughs> do you have any kind of morals? Do you have any kind of spine? Yeah, he does, but he, he doesn't care. I mean, he's a government. Uh, he lives on government subsidies. Yeah. I don't care what anybody says. Look into it. He does. That's his business. SpaceX, right with NASA. I mean, he's making money. He's getting money on that. It's not self-sufficient. I mean, he didn't create Tesla. I mean, think about this. Tesla would be <laughs> Nicole has got to be rolling over in his grave that they even perverted his name on that freaking those freaking vehicles. In the 1900s they had electric cars. They had electric cars in the nineteen hundred early 1900s. And they had hooked up um, belts to their front axle to run a generator that, guess what that did? Huh, it charged the batteries while you're driving. Do we have them now in our electric vehicles? No. You know, but your gas vehicles, my, my, my diesel pickups, they have a generator. So when I'm driving it, what's it doing? Oh, it's charging the battery. And we're so stupid. They don't even hide that. But do people think about it? No. Well, so when everybody goes to electric vehicles, and I can't because I live in a very rural area, and I haul horses and cattle, I can't have an electric vehicle. I, it's just not feasible. Plus, they don't have any. So when, when all of a sudden you can't because, you know, weather, storms, natural, you know, disasters, The electric grid goes down. I mean, it happens here several times during the winter. How are you going to charge your car? Well, if you could charge it while
0: you're driving it, you wouldn't have to plug the sun buck in. (laughs) Yep. No, it's it's crazy, man. Like you just said, I mean, Musk is a puppet. Any any of these kind of guys that people start to worship as their savior, and when we've done it here on the show with many of them, you look behind them. It takes fifteen minutes. You find out that they're all getting uh, billions upon billions of dollars in government contracts. Uh, most of them have there are startup companies that were funded with InQTel which is the CIA's venture capital firm. I mean it only takes a matter of minutes yes. to find this stuff. Does, and yeah. then you're supposed to believe Elon Musk is battling the government. But Elon Musk is an extension of the government. He works for the state. He's really just a salesman. Yeah. Who goes out there and pushes this stuff into the mainstream, similar to uh, Steve Jobs going out there on the stage back in the, uh, before he was dead and and pushing the uh, tracker into your pocket, which is the iPhone. You know, I mean, he was the guy who was sent out there to sell that on us. So all these guys are really part of. Yes. Yeah. To that point, think about this.
1: This is something that people don't even think about farming, ranching. They all, not all, but and that's a general statement. So I know that there are those out there. I have friends that don't get it. But just this year, this the guy working for me up on the mountain, I'm a—you I'm a, know get into that later. But my job, I take care of cattle on the national forest for four months of the year. So I hired the guy that rode with me. And his old boss, a rancher, they, they file because we've been in severe drought here for a while. They are able to file for government assistance through, um, I don't remember what they call it exactly, but they get, because of the drought, they can file for government assistance because of the droughts going on. You don't even have to own the land. If you lease land from somebody, you can file, and you can. And this, we're talking like, you, you're talking like $40,000. That's more than I make in a year. But they're given these ranchers and farmers, farmers are paid to not farm. They're paid to farm specific crops what the government says. So we talk about guys like Jobs, Musk, this kind of stuff at the big level, the, the, the people that are in the public eye, look at the people that are doing, that are involved in the food service industry, or I mean, not food service, but produ- food production, ranching and farming. It's even crepe, crept into that level. And it's, it's been going on before, I, before, way before, I mean, le- within the last 20 years or longer. You know, I think
0: I I remember the first they're not going to speak
1: against the people that are
0: feeding them. Yeah, I think I think I remember the first big one that I had read about years ago was when we started paying the farmers to turn all the corn into ethanol corn and they were paying them uh, subsidizing them, paying them for the corn above the price that they would get to uh, sell it as food. And and I remember just back, this was just common sense. I'm saying, why am I going in the grocery store and seeing corn that comes from Mexico instead of corn that comes from Mm -hmm. the U.S. and then we're taking all our corn and turning it in to ethanol. But see, this is how the system works from Elon Musk Mm -hmm. down to these little guys you're talking about because the system injects all this money and the food coupons, which are the money, uh, are what drives Mm -hmm. the system and how they control the 99%. Yep. Like I always say, the guys at the top, the international banksters, the economic terrorists, they don't they're not driven by money, they're driven by power and control. Okay, when you own the printing press, yep that prints the dollars or you own the server that's gonna mint the CBDC tokens, you have endless money. You could come out of the printing press room with bags of cash and then walk around saying you're the Mm -hmm. richest man in the world. As long as you and I accept that currency, they are the richest man in the world. So they don't care about the money. They use the money to bribe all of us and to keep us you know, churning within this system. Unfortunately, the system that they've been having us build you know, is this technique, this technocracy that we are moving mm-hmm. into now? You just mentioned the the ranching stuff. So let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Cause it's interesting. So you actually go out on a, on a horse. Is that what you do?
1: Yeah, I actually cowboy for a living. Um, not the title, you know, the, the movies kind of stuff, but <clears throat> so this started, my great-granddad was the very first one in our area back in, I think he started in 1904. They're on, the, on the National Forest, they have allotments, grazing allotments. And they're an ownable, they're an asset, commodity, whatever. The ranchers own them. There's a deed to it. And so they, you work with the Forest Service. And you, we turn the cattle out on the mountain. And the, ra- the ranchers pool together on different allotments. And then they generally, they either ride it themselves because this is, this is in, it's like, I mean, I'm in the, I'm in the, I'm in the forest. I'm on the national forest. I mean, where I live, where I I go up the first lower camp, I'm at about 45, 30 to 45 minutes away from home during the, as the summer, as the cattle move to the higher country and higher country here is between, you know, nine and 11,000 feet elevation. And this is an area where people, I mean, it's, it's very remote nineteen hundreds type of stuff you know there ain't nowhere to get you can't you cannot move and handle cattle in any kind of a modern way. It's horseback and ropes I've got a doctor room, I watch the feed um that's the you know that's that's my job is to take care of the cattle, keep them healthy, and manage the feed so it doesn't get overgrazed. um and so yeah it's my job is roping and doctoring cattle, moving them where they need to be to To manage the land and keep everything healthy, and so yeah, there's technology. is <laughs> It can't take that job away, but again, so what they're how, doing how, how, is they how, are how decreasing many, how, the numbers.
0: How, how many cow- How many cattle are we talking?
1: Um, on the allotment that I ride, it's 1,958 um, pairs. So that's cows and calves, um, and then Every, they, they require one bull for every 24 cows. So somewhere around, it just depends because some, some years the guys have are lower numbers. Some years they're right at their numbers. It just depends on, um, you know, how hard they've had to cull the year before, you know. So somewhere between 3,000 and 3,500 head of cows that I've got. And I ride a 43,000, almost a 50,000 acre allotment. Just the allotment itself is 43,000, but then um, there's some other allotments around it that are, that have been let go. There's no fencing between us, so the cows go there. So, I mean, 50,000 acres is, it's a lot of land. And this is land that people don't even understand, can't even fathom existing. I've talked to people that can't, I worked for a ranch in Wyoming. She had a 9,000 acre ranch and she, when I I was explaining to her interviewing for the job... And explained to her what I did. She was like, I wouldn't even allow my cows to be there. I mean, this is areas where I've ridden downhill into into basins Mm -hmm. where literally my feet, the bottom of my feet are at at my horse's ears. It's that steep going up and down. And you got to go get cows in there and you got to bring them back up. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, man from the, you know, I don't know how many people are familiar with the man from Snowy River anymore, but that's kind of child's play type of stuff Mm -hmm. (laughs) compared to what we do.
0: So people understand, are these cattle that end up uh, in the grocery store? Yes. Okay, yep. so this would, be, this would be like, you know, ground beef and steaks that you would get at, at the grocery store, or, or are these more organic uh, cows that end up sold out of a farmer's market?
1: No, the, all the guys I work for, generally how it works when you're in a rural setting like this is all the ranchers... Most of them around here, they're, you know, they take their cows to, they can take them to a sale barn, you know, if they're culling, um, they have wheat calves or whatever, wheat cows, old cows, they'll take them to the sale barn and sell them. But generally, what they do is they, they'll sell them on contract. Usually in like June or July, they, they meet with a, a, a beef producer, or not producer, but uh, I can't remember what they call them right now, but they, they buy the cattle. So they'll, mar- they'll buy them on the futures contract. And some years they, they do good. They'd sell them at a higher price than because the market goes up and down. So oh, by are, the they, time they are they they like a, a the processor?
0: What's that? Are they are, they, are they like a cattle processor? Is that what they are?
1: Uh, kind of. That's not yeah. the right word, but they're they're more of a broker. The broker buys oh. them and then they they like the feedlots. But okay. then there's also one ran one of the ranchers that, that's on the pool he maintains his cows all the slaughter. He owns, he keeps, maintains ownership of them. So he, he ships it when he takes his calves off, he takes them home. They graze till, you know, from, oh, middle of November to about this time of year up on his ranch. And then he ships them to a feedlot. And then when they've reached their weights at the feedlot, then he sends them through to the slaughter and that's when he sells. Okay. Um, but a lot of guys. Like if I want to buy a cow, or if I want to, you know, what I can contact my neighbor, any one of my neighbors, and I can buy a cow directly from them. I can oh, okay. say I want to buy. You know, you can buy it either. People will raise, you know, a few beef every year for themselves, their family, and then they'll also have some on hand that they'll sell directly to people that want to buy. And then they just get a hold of the the butcher, the slaughter place, and they'll load it up in a trailer and haul it down and have it taken care of that way. So. You know, There's there's a lot of different ways, and that's kind of what we're looking at doing is we're, we only have a small place, but looking into having our own cows, raising our own little small herd to have to raise and do our own beef to have control over it
0: 100%. Yeah, that's like here. I've got a friend of mine. He's got 12 acres. And he raises, I think he's got about five or six at a time. They're grass-fed and they eat mash that he gets Mm -hmm. uh, left over from a microbrewery. And then I've got a a farmer that we deal with, Farmer Carol, and she always has six or seven over on a 50-acre piece of land but that's what they do and then you can order you know the, the full cow the half cow a quarter and then you know you got a little mm-hmm. sheet and you check it off depending on what you want the butcher how you want them to cut it up and then there's you know y- yep. you can either have it brought to your butcher here or most of them have a butcher they contract with now now what you were talking about right so the land that you're working uh so so when you're working you're actually working for the rancher is that generally how your contract yes. works yeah Okay, and then the ranchers. Yeah, my
1: work. Yep.
0: And then the the ranchers. Some of the land that they're operating on is controlled by the federal government via the the forestry department.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's United States National Forest land.
0: Okay, so the ranchers have contracts with what the federal government, like leasing land from them. Is that how that works?
1: Well, they. They own, they, they buy what is called the allotment. The per, there's a permit that they buy from the government for specific allotments. And they have a certain number of head of cattle that'll be on each permit or each allotment. Um, so, like, if somebody is, retires, like there's a rancher that I, I grew up with, his son, he just decided... So he sold his permit to a couple and so he never no longer runs on the mountain anymore and for where we're at and see well that gets on another deal but where we're at you have to have what is called commensary land you have to have a certain number of you have to own a specific amount of land to be able to maintain your cows for for the whole year for the for the whole time that you would be on the permit Mm so um but then there's other allotments where you're not required to have commensary land. So what you would do, if you want to sell the allotment, what you do is you, you can sell it to anybody and the cows go with it. So you sell, sell, basically you're just selling your cows at a premium price oh. because then you ha- they have the, the permit comes with those cattle and then the cows have to stay with that permit for one year to the new owner and yeah you just to the, the,
0: the federal government sure makes it complicated don't they yeah look how difficult it is for you to even explain that i, I had asked you on the on the phone when we talked just because i think it helps people put it into context because a lot of folks had um Listened to, sort of studied the whole Bundy versus the Bureau of Land Management years ago. Similar thing, right? They had cattle grazing on Bureau of Land Management controlled property. And then there was some battle going on where the BLM had had taken over the land, I think, from the state of Nevada, right? And then the Bundys were saying they refused to pay the federal government. They were going to pay the state. I mean, it was similar circumstances. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and so, okay, so now when you go, you're working for the rancher, and then you're riding on uh, federal land, right? Because you said, well, in Correct. some cases they have to own land, and then in other cases some of the land, they have to own land to rent from the federal government. I mean, it's complex, so I don't want to dissect it all. I'm just trying to understand um, No, they how it works. No, they, they just have to own their own
1: land, for where we're at, but then they, they have this land that they, yeah, for lack of a better term, they lease from the government that they, they're able to do. And so it's all on the, they have to own their land at home down here in the private land area, wherever Mm -hmm. they own land, it doesn't matter. But then we run the cows. So on the allotment that I run, they generally start turning cattle out onto the mountain, June 14th. And then I ride until usually the middle part. Um, the end of well usually the very beginning of november is when i ride so the cows are on the mountains and in my control for four four and a half months out of the year on the on the forest
0: okay now let me ask you i I just want to ask you this and you might not know but it's something that i've looked into as i've been researching over time uh you know lab cultured like lab grown meat 3d printed meat the impossible burger stuff all that kind of all that kind of thing because um what i find to be fascinating is down the road and and it's actually happening now this lab cultured meat as far as i could see congress in looks at that meat that's grown in a lab as the same as a cattle, you know, grazing in a field because they're claiming that they're growing the meat based on cells that they've taken from the cattle versus, say, like Impossible Burger or something that's made from soy cakes or something like that. It, the numbers I've okay. seen, that, well, the numbers I've seen, well, it's this is the interesting part. I want to know at what point, and I don't buy meat from the grocery store anymore. I only go to local uh, ranchers and local farmers and stuff. And we, we started doing that. Right. About a year ago, 100%. We don't mess with the grocery stores. Because I'm waiting for the day that I walk into the grocery store and, you know, a a chuck roast is grown in a lab, but they're not going to tell me that. They're just going to sell it to me like it's a chuck roast. Uh, The numbers I've seen is it says Americans eat 34 million cattle and calves a year. I mean, now you're obviously only working one area, but being in the industry since 2010, I'm sure you've met a lot of cowboys and ranchers and stuff in your career. In the United States, do we have the ability to actually raise and slaughter 34 million cows a year? Is that possible? As long as the government stays out of it, yeah, we do. (laughs) Well, (laughs) no, it just seems like you just told me you're working a. 40 to 50,000 acre piece of land with, you said it was uh 1,958, but you said it was like three to 4,000. I'm just thinking 34 million. Now I know, is it King ranch? Right. Is that the largest one is King ranch?
1: I don't know. I haven't looked at it that in a while. That's one of the bigger ones. They're out of Texas. Uh, yeah. The King ranch is out of Texas, but see like just to give you a little bit of background, like on the allotment that I ride, um my dad started riding as a pool rider when he was 12 years old he did it started it from 12 years old through high school but when dad was riding the the allotments around i think the allotment that i was on was right around five to six thousand head of cows and now it's at 1958 so you don't got to be the head cashier at walmart to know that that something's changed something's different and they're like the allotment that my, my wife's father owned um, here on the Grand Mesa when she was a child, they actually, part of the permit was where the ski resort is. And it's gone now. The environmentalists, the, the liberal-minded people got rid of it. They, you know, cattle are killing the land, you know, type of deal. So it's gone. So not only are the numbers decreasing on these allotments, but they're being taken away. And then like the ski resort, they didn't have to groom or not groom, but mow the, the ski trails during the summer because why? There's cattle up there. The Forest Service was making money, not a lot, but they're making money on the, on the assessment fees. And the cattle were on the ski runs during the summertime eating the grass. Now that's gone the, the ski resort because they only have a, they have a permit too, to run their ski resort on the national forest. Just like the ranchers do, but now the the fort now the ski resort has to pay money out through fuel and man hours, wages to have the guys go mow those ski resort sk- those ski runs during the summer. So, the, go- the government go having income to not having income and decreasing it. So yeah, I, I, there's a lot of theories and so on and so forth, but the numbers are decreasing. Where I, when I was a kid here there were more ranches and they were bigger. Now everybody wants their slice of heaven in Western, Western Colorado and land is at a premium because,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, like when I moved into, into the Eagle County area in 97, mm-hmm. the billionaires with a B were pushing the millionaires out. And that has continued to move down. I 70. Well, both ways on I 70 between Vale and Denver and from Vale to grand junction because Aspen's not too far away. So everybody wants their slice of heaven. They're willing to pay the exorbitant prices of real estate. And so where I grew up, it was a ranching community. We went grocery shopping once a month. Mm -hmm. You didn't go to grand junction. You just didn't. Now where I live, it's a bedroom community. People live here, sleep here and they work uh, elsewhere. And so it's not the same. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't have the number of cattle, but we could, we could. But through government regulation and government intervention, as it is right now, where it is, no, we couldn't do twenty-four million or thirty-four million head of cattle. But then you go to places like Florida. Florida is one of the top; they're they're usually number one or number two as a cattle producer, as as a cattle producing state. And it's hard to believe until when I was rodeo and I rodeoed down there in Florida, and driving through that state, you're like, holy crap, there's cattle everywhere and you know you think about Florida at least me growing up you think about you know Miami you think about the beaches and all that kind of stuff and it's there's monstrous amount of cattle Texas same thing but as it is right now where we're at it's going to take it's going to take something drastic to get it back to where it could be that way but i mean in rural land yeah you could and it, you could only you could even do it where you produce your own cattle you know not everybody <laughs> wants to not everybody May have the interest in doing it, but it doesn't take a whole lot. You know, you could have, you know, a cow, you know, and you could, you, that's where you could start to get into community, you know. Like yeah. that ranch I worked in Wyoming, she had 9,000 acres, ran about eight, seven, eight hundred head of cows. She had 34, 35 bulls, and she was literally looking at selling her bulls and going into a lease program and just leasing bulls from a ranch. So when she needed to, to get her cows bred, Have the bulls shipped in, run them on her place with her cows to get everything bred, then ship the bulls back. Mm -hmm. And if you've never been around bulls, they're pretty destructive. I mean, not much really phases them. You know, they're they 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 hurt each other, they break a lot of things. You know, you got to handle. You got the maintenance in them, feeding them, and so forth. So you got things like that, even on a small scale, like if. My wife and I, when we finally get our, get, start getting some cows again, I'm not going to get a bull, you know, you, you can borrow or lease a bull from somebody around here. You can borrow a bull because generally in the summertime, they're looking for someplace to be because not everybody's on the mountain. Mm-hmm. So they got bulls they want to do something with. So it, I'll take him for, you know, a month and run him with my cow and get her bread, you know? So you can, you can do things like that. And like my, the last herd that my dad had before he, officially retired from ranching, which I don't, it's more of a catchphrase than anything. He didn't retire and make anything. He just quit because he got, but he, he never paid one dime for his cows. He didn't Mm -hmm. buy any of his cows. He did a lease program with a friend and would lease his cows. And so he would take, um, dad would get 70% of the calf crop and the guy who's leasing the cows would take 30% of the calf crop. And so over time, my dad just kept running the same cows, taking care of them, just running them like they were his. And then when the cows, when it came time to wean the calves, then Chuck would get his calves. They would separate them off. Chuck would take his pick. And so dad had a well, a very good herd of cows built up that he never paid a dime for. He owned them outright by doing a lease program. So there's always ways. Again, it goes back to that whole thing, thinking outside the box. But, you know. Everybody thinks, well, cows are expensive. Well, sure they are. But think about a way to do it. You know, there's those organizations out there like Ranching for Profit. My dad, he and I went to one of their seminars here, oh, probably Mm -hmm. 15 years ago. No, not quite that long. But anyway, I did that. And it's all about learning how to run ranching, farming, or mostly ranching as a business. Right. And growing up, everybody wants to get into ranching and farming because, and 99.99% 99.99% of the people say it for the same reason because of the lifestyle they want to be they want to be with their kids. They want to be, they want the lifestyle. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, it, once you've done it, I mean, I was raised in it. So I, I, I don't want to do anything else. And I've bet I've done went the other way, like we've talked about, but when you're doing it, most people, they do it for the lifestyle, but they work themselves into the ground because they're in, they're cut. The matrix is everywhere. Right. And Mm -hmm. you think you have to work harder and you do. But like when I was on that ranch in Wyoming, she was switching over and she was the same age as my dad. So she's 76 years old now. And she was switching over to become a regenerative grazing ranch. She wanted to get away from haying and to just have to just run her cows. And you would you you run the cows in specific areas, different ways. So that way you're, you're stockpiling your feed. You're letting your feed grow up in areas for 12 months and you don't touch that feed for 12 months. You don't hay it. You have enough hay on hand. And so like one of the ranches that she well, had me watching videos and reading books on this stuff and Jim Garrish, I think is the guy who wrote the book that I, uh, one of the books that I read and they talked about, you know, he's, he's taught ranchers in minnesota all all over the world actually literally all over the world but in minnesota where i mean we have we have winter in colorado but they get three times the winter we do the amount of snow and there's ranches in minnesota that go the whole winter without feeding a flake of flake of hay because they stockpile their feed now they have hay on hand Mm -hmm. so when there's major storms come through because you can't predict the, the weather you can't predict the future but when those storms come through, yeah, you take care of your cows, you feed them to get them through the storm. But you have the specific cows for your land, the breeds that are able to forage and graze and work for a living, and that's the way they've been raised. And that's they're 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 not they're not subsidized, molly molly coddled cattle. They go work. So as soon as the storm's done, what do they want to do? They go right back to digging for feed, just like cows and just like deer and elk and the mm-hmm. moose. They, they go out and they forage on their own. They look for that feed. They know it's there. So as soon as they start doing that, you stop feeding them hay. You just have enough hay on hand. And one of the videos that she had me watching of a rancher about my age in Canada, they have, they have more severe winters in Canada than in Colorado, and he said haying is a drug. It is. It's, it's an addiction
2: mm-hmm.
1: because, we don't again, we don't think outside the box. This is the way my dad did it. This is the way my granddad did it. This is the way it's always been done. And and that's a killer statement. I mean, that literally you're handcuffed at that point, right? And so he finally sold all of his haying equipment, and haying equipment is very expensive. Start looking into the prices of balers and swathers. You're talking six figures a lot of times. I mean, it's mm-hmm. big money. He finally sold it all. And the person interviewing him said, "So what does your summer look like now?" Because you know you got irrigation you got hay in, all this, you know, putting it up, everything goes into that. There's a lot of work that goes into that. And I asked him, so what do your summers look like now? And he said, We do a lot of fishing. I, <laughs> I enjoy my children. When we, we want to go when we when it's time to go work the cows, we ride the cows, we work them, we do what you need to do, and then when we're done, eh, we go fishing. Because the cows are where they need to be for the next couple of days. We just go we go on vacation.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's the lifestyle that everybody wants. But we work ourselves to the bone because we're You got to pay the man, right? You got to do this. You got to do that. We can't, we don't get out of the system. And so these people are starting, all areas of life are starting to go, you know what? How can I get out of having to work myself to the bone? Not that works bad. Not that you're going to have days where you're going to have those, you know, 25 hour days. Right. But one of those every now and then is okay. Okay. But when it's every day, when you have a day job and you have to go home and feed your cows and you're calving your cows out. So when calving your cows out in the wintertime means every two hours you get up and you go out through the herd, check them and make sure that everybody's okay. If there's somebody starting to calve a young heifer or something, you got to trail them into the barn or make sure that she's not having problems. And then on top of all that, you still got to make it to work on time. So Mm -hmm. how are you enjoying the lifestyle? You're not, you're, you're a slave to the system. And so these guys that, you know, that she introduced me to that I'm seeing, they're like, I'm going to do this, but for different reasons. And I want to make it work for me, you know? So that's, that's kind of where I'm going. I want to, I'm only small scale, you know I mean? We're not even quite there yet, but we've got our own chickens. So we have our own eggs and the price of eggs has gone through the ceiling here because our wondrous or illustrious governor here in Colorado made it so you can no longer have caged, you know, the the typical chickens. They have to be cage-free eggs, <laughs> which I'm, I'm fine with. I, I get that whole deal. I completely agree. But not only that, but then with this whole, you know, quote-unquote flu that they've had to kill these millions of chickens over, there's a shortage, I think, a, a created shortage of eggs. So, But we're at least producing our own. We've got our own eggs. You know, I've got two sheep rams. If I need to butcher one of them, I can go do that. And that's what I want to do, start learning how. I've got friends that know how to, that run butcher slaughter businesses. And then you can teach people, like we were talking the other day, teach people how to do these things. Even if I I don't have the means right now, my brother-in-law was a butcher for a while. You know, good friend Ronnie was a butcher, ran a slaughter business. So if I can get to the shed, get my bandsaw, and have my freezers, I can do my own animals here. And I can have somebody teach me with no government intervention the government doesn't care you know unless i sell it right and then i have mm-hmm. to get a hold of the brand inspector but if some if my neighbor doesn't have the means to do it and last year you know with the whole pandemic deal there was up to six eight eight months that the, you couldn't get your cows into to the butcher it was there was so overwhelmed and so you know you want a butcher but you can't get them in there well it's time you know they were there at wait there it's this is the prime time to do it and if you can't get them into a place well i'd like to have the deal set up where i can say yeah come here we'll do it we'll just do it together we'll spend a day and we'll just we'll butcher your your beef for you and mm. not take cash payment say you know what i need some fence work done how about you know do that or barter you know what i'm saying that's all cash is that's all money is it's bartering it's just the government has con- convinced us all to believe there is value in it no your time is what the, is where the
0: value is your time
1: Exactly. You know? It's your, you time, your time. Your, something that, that pays you back.
0: Yeah. It's your time, your creativity, your skill set. I mean, that that's why in an ideal yes. situation, you know, the, the big hurdle that I think most people that are interested in living one foot outside of the matrix. Now, the big hurdle everyone is facing now is. Is being able to figure out that first step in how they're going to get that chunk of change in their pocket to be able to go buy, even 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 if you start with two acres, you know, two, three, four, five acres, depending yep. on where you're going, that's the first piece. All right, then the second piece that when yep. I'm talking to friends of mine that say they want to go homestead or or kind of live one foot outside the matrix, uh, because we live in a world now where you can find somewhat remote work. So if you still need to step in the matrix to make food coupons, like you said, you're trading your labor for mm-hmm. pieces of paper, you know, that are equivalent to how much, uh, right. you know, your skills or whatever. Okay, so you can, you can figure out how to work remotely to get some of that fiat cash uh, until they switch us over to central bank digital currency, that you need to buy certain things to start building out your homestead. But the more that you can grow, the more you can produce uh the more you can raise if it's in the form of meat on your land and now first step is feed your family if you can feed your family okay that's a big expense that you just wiped off that's money you don't have to go make in the system now number two like you said if you if you can build a community of folks around you that you can barter with so if you happen to have a ram that you slaughter Right, and now you can give some of that meat to somebody who's going to give you three sacks of potatoes for the winter because you don't grow potatoes. Now you have the ability to barter. Then if you have a service or a skill, like you said, hey, I can butcher. So if somebody says, listen, I've got a a cow I need to butcher, you say, listen, come over. We'll butcher it together. I get to keep a quarter of the cow. Now all of a sudden, you've got that meat. All these different things that you can do where you don't have to actually go earn fiat currency Uh, it's just the first big step is being able to buy the land making sure you're buying a piece of land that could produce what you want it to do right you don't want to rush out and buy three or four acres that you think is a great deal in West Virginia or Tennessee or something and then you find out the soil's polluted or the stream running through it is polluted or it turns out uh, even out in West Virginia you could find these five six acre pieces of land if you're not careful you'll find out that that actually was an HOA a homeowners association next thing you know you can't you figure out you can't actually do any farming on that land so you're screwed you bought right. basically a worthless piece of land there's other areas in west virginia that are completely because that's where we've been looking completely unrestricted so i could buy five or ten acres right. in west virginia i could do whatever the hell i want on that land and the property tax is like 200 dollars a year whether you build a mansion a swimming pool a farm or whatever you're doing because they actually don't even have a tax uh inspector that goes out there <laughs> and looks at the land so these are right. all the things i'm trying to we're going to be working on in 2023 on the show Is talking to more guests like yourself uh the gentleman i had on uh on saturday uh he also uh knows all about butchering as well he was raised to to learn how to hunt so these are all the things for people that are interested in doing this to to where i say you need to be realistic about it you need to do your homework you need to understand it because you don't want to jump into it and then set yourself up for failure you know i I mean that's always what uh, i'm afraid of like i don't want to jump in and then i go oh crap i can't grow the garden here that i thought i could because the soil's destroyed you know
1: well, yeah, it's like here, you know, we are, here in Western Colorado at our elevation, we're just we're not very high. We're about six thousand feet elevation, and for for you, you're probably hearing six thousand feet, going, good God, that's pretty high. But mm-hmm. you know, we also have you know fourteen thousand feet mountains around us too, so we're pretty low, but in perspective. So our growing season is short. That's why canning. You know, my growing up, my grandmother and my mom canned. They grew gardens. My grandparents, my dad's mom and dad, they had a it was probably an acre garden and they lived in town. But the family kind of helped would help grandma and granddad take care of the garden. So when it was harvest season, we all got some of the strawberries, we all got some of the corn, we all got all of part of the bounty out of it, right? And then grandma and mom would can, you know, and store that stuff in root cellars. And grandma, you know, they had a root cellar. They also had a cellar inside their barn. You know, so when you start looking into this it can be like you're like you're saying it can be kind of daunting and it kind of there's a lot to it start small just even thinking about it is is starting you know like i was talking to my sister last night she lives down in grand junction it's about fifty thousand population and there's people that live in grand junction that have their own little chicken coop they probably have you know not very many but they probably got their own three or four or five chickens so you can do that. You can start your own little, you know, like a yard. Everybody in America has a yard. It's a waste of water. It's a, it keeps things cool, sure. But what we found here the last several years, just us, you know, with our drought, we don't, our well is not good enough. We're not on city water. We have a well. But it's hmm. not a big enough production. The well doesn't produce enough to, to water our lawn. So we irrigate it with our irrigation water when we order water. and we haven't had much irrigation water because if there's no snow on the mountains, there's no water in California. That's just, that's just the way it is. And so Mm -hmm. if you don't have a long growing season and you don't have a lot of water, you got to be creative. So start thinking about greenhouses, even just small things, you know, have figure out like we've got one tomato plant that we've kept over this year. And it's still, it's just a small tomato plant, but we're keeping it in the house, keeping it in the window and it's still producing tomatoes on it. You know, but I'd like to have a greenhouse and then have a way to, you know, learning how to can food, learning how to be able to store meat like they did 100 years ago before they had freezers. Well, they canned meat, too. You know, you can store it in salt. You can think back. I mean, like we had the whole toilet paper shortage. What were, how were people wiping their butt 100 years ago? They didn't have toilet paper. I mean, <laughs> we've gotten yeah. so, so far away from nature and people that actually had to live. You know, some a toilet paper crisis for God's sake, people, wake up! I mean, we're, we that's you know that's that whole thing was kind of an indication of where society is, and we've got, there's I think we're starting to be in a tipping point where we can get back to real living. And I'm not saying yeah. it's easy living, but I'm saying it's it's living. I don't want to I don't want to retire. I talked to my dad several years ago. He's like, well, "What am I going to retire to? I'm gonna I'm gonna live." And now he's got a music career. You know, he's 76 years old and he's got a music career now. I mean, so everybody race to the grave. Why are we in a race to the grave? Just live life. Try and slow down. Mm -hmm. But, you know, everything is about now, 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 immediate. I don't want immediate. I want, you know, learn to enjoy the the journey. Enjoy, you know, get up in the morning. You throw the covers back and the risks start increasing exponentially. Man, embrace it. We're all going to die. But i want to i want to i want to be healthy i want to be happy while I'm alive and I don't worry about death i mean i've i've been on death's doorstep more times than i probably had any i, I was not wise in my younger days obviously with my careers but <laughs> don't be afraid to live i mean everybody's afraid to die you're going to die nobody gets out alive man learn how to live live love your neighbor take care of your neighbor take care of yourself you know and stop trying to we are, we're, in, we're afraid of, we're afraid to die and we're in a race to the grave at the same time. And that dichotomy, people don't see it, you know, yeah. they don't see it. They're not living. I mean, I remember seeing that when I was at the sheriff's office, the average cost of a family, a single family home in Eagle County was like $350,000. And this was around the two thousands, early two thousands. That's insane. And people were moving out there in droves because they wanted their peace of heaven. So they would buy their $500,000 house with a homeowners association where they had to do everything the homeowners association told them. And then the wife had two jobs and the husband had two jobs and the kids were in the public indoctrination system. Oh, yeah, they were living. They were living the dream, right? They never even knew each other. You know, they would have their blow ups on taking the husband to jail because he's beat his wife because he's stressed out and she's stressed out. You know, they have babysitters taking care of the kids. They don't know each other. And I'm like, I ain't doing this. There's no way I'm doing this. This yeah. is not living.
0: And so my wife came over here from Poland when she was 19 to go to college, uh, and was an au pair uh, for a family uh, outside of Washington D.C. and and most of her friends that came over from Poland uh, did that as they worked their way through college. And she you know she would tell stories about these you know mega powerful D.C. attorney types they would work for who were never home, like literally so they could live in their $4 million Potomac, Maryland mansion and the wife was off playing around at the uh, country club all day because the the husbands buy that for them so they hang out there and then she would raise the three kids, the three kids she said in a matter of a week would see their mother and father for about a total of 12 minutes like she said it was nuts and the parents were having her buy the kids Uh, Twinkies and uh, Lucky Charms cereal macaroni and cheese you couldn't believe it and so you see that even today I mean the area I live in it's on the border of suburbs and rural in Frederick, Maryland, which 20 years ago was like a big farm town. Uh, now it's it's completely okay. destroyed. Luckily for us, this is just a temporary stop. As I've told the audience before, I lived a life before this, ended up in divorce, so I look at this as I'm starting over. Uh, it was great. I happened to be lucky mm-hmm. and meet this fantastic woman. I should have married uh, someone from outside of America a long time ago, because she's like basically USA <laughs> 1980. That's how I see her. She still appreciates flowers, and you open the door for her. She's she's old school, so uh, right. I like that thing because yep. I'm a throwback. But um, so we're starting over now. We have our our son who's eight weeks old, and part of what I always balance is between. You know, this inner stress, uh, like I got caught off guard with COVID land, the high school theater production in my past life. And now I go, wait a second, CBDCs around the corner, uh, more AI, all this stuff. At the same time, I'm not going to rush into trying to build a homestead and then get myself into problems and create more stress because I did it wrong. And I really want to start to build that up. Uh, with my son. That's part of the journey I want to take with him. So I don't want to do things before he's going to be able to be part of it and remember it. So sometimes I say, listen, if they're going to force more technocracy and CBDC is going to come at me six months from now, well, guess what? I'm not prepared for it, but there's nothing I could do within six months to insulate myself from that. Anyway, if it is going to start to really become big and come to fruition in 2030, which is like a magic year for them, then that's fantastic because it gives Mm -hmm. me the next year, year and a half to really put the plans together and then do this right Right. and do it in a way where we're going to succeed at it. Uh, Of course we're going to have some failures along the way but you're not going to have as many and then that becomes part of his journey and like what you just talked about I want to be able to, uh, you know, we did some canning and things this year. Um, uh, my wife's parents live on about 12 acres in rural Poland. So canning, pickling, gardening, the whole yard is really just part of their culture. It's been that way for a long time. So right. we, we got to, I got to experience a lot with them. My uh, father-in-law, he makes whiskey that he uses to trade with neighbors for meat. He's got a big smoker he built, so he'll smoke sausages for people and trade for getting sausage. Uh, my mother-in-law harvests a lot of berries and Grapes they have, and they'll trade those to neighbors for other fruits and vegetables. So that's sort of the system, you know. We want to set up uh, in our life, and I want to get into like you said, canning meat, uh, salting meat, smoking meat. Like a lot of this stuff that I'm going to jump into, I want to be able to do it in a way that it's off the grid. So my system is not that I want to just right. get a bunch of meat and buy 42 chest freezers, you know, and have them lined up, and I got to rely completely right. on electricity. If I'm going to do it, I want to do it where if if the power grid goes down i can sit there and be play Amish if i have to i mean that that's how i look at it not that absolutely. i want to live every day like that but i want to prepare for that type of situation and if you're canning and pickling and making good stuff anyway you're going to eat that as regular food as you go along through life you know you're not just putting it down in your uh absolutely. in your uh, bomb bunker you know you're you're eating this stuff as you right. go along
1: absolutely and you know where that food came from. You know you're there from beginning to end. You're in control of it. So it, it's, it's obviously going to be healthier. Not only that, but to add, like, and I know solar and, and wind energy and all that stuff a big push right now, but don't forget, people, don't forget about hydroelectricity. I lived on a place back when I was in Eagle area on a ranch, and they had a hydroelectric plant on their place. It was only a 62-acre place, and it didn't have, but they had their own live water. And they own that water, so they built a hydroelectric plant on their place. And that hydroelectric plant powered five houses, three ranches. So you don't, you know, you don't even have to. You can. Th- there's always a way to think outside the box. Whether they say, if there's a will, there's a way. But so don't limit yourself. You know what you're talking about about being off grid and all that. Absolutely. But if you can have a little bit of that modern convenience to go with it, where you're not dependent on a power grid and you could have solar to back it up or whatever. There you go. That's how you know, I it. Have see a way that, to yeah. store that. Have a way to have your own.
0: Yeah. I'm not ready to grow the uh, Amish beard and uh, turn off the electricity. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to be prepared if that happens and not feel like, uh, you bet. Like, like a prepper living in an RV underground, breathing out of a straw, you know, like, I don't want to do that, Absolutely. but you want to be able to, when uh, the lights go out and the internet goes off, you're sitting there going, hey, whatever, light the candles, it's fine. I mean, we're totally prepared for this type of situation. Like I said, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, I have friends of mine, they'll go buy a, a full cow off one of these uh, these small ranchers, and then, you know, mm-hmm. they've got seven uh, chest freezers. I'm like, okay, well, that's all good, that's all fine and dandy, but first off, if your power... because yeah, you know, a lot of them have a generator, but if power's out for two or three weeks, you're not going to be able to power for that long. And then all your meat is spoiled. Right. Plus, a lot of that's, yep. like, I find steaks and things like that are not that enjoyable once they're frozen for six, seven months. They're not as good when you cook them up. So, they're to not. me, it, it's sort of a waste. Um, but, like, yep. yesterday, for instance, I spent... I, I wanted to do this as an experiment. So we were over in Poland, one of the, the this dish that everyone likes it's called Smollett's. It's uh, pork fat and then it's infused with like uh, bits of pork belly meat so it has like bacon bits almost in it. And so my right. wife got the recipe off her brother who makes the best one in the family. And so I spent four hours yesterday making it. It was my first time. And her mother's visiting from Poland. She said, oh, my God, this is like the best one I've ever had. I did it all with organic pork from a from a butcher that we get pork from. And this stuff, once you do it in your little uh, canning jars, you can actually boil it quick and then actually store those in your in your pantry with your pickled vegetables so it's like a pork fat mixed right. with uh, pieces of pork you know high protein gives you a big energy boost and you can store that stuff for a couple of years once it's canned so I'm like that was my first experiment right. doing stuff with meat uh, but these are the kind of things like I said I, I want to be working towards because if you truly want to free yourself from the system I mean a, a lot of people get hung up as we talked about earlier with restoring America or the constitution or Whatever, they get hung up with this idea that they have to save the collective or save the country. You, you can't save the collective when 50% of the people want to live in that system that's their choice if you want to yeah. free yourself yep. from this tyranny that you see from this dystopian future you have to do that in your personal life and you have to free yourself and your family and then what's going to happen is you lead by example because as you start to build right. your own your own butcher shop and you come on a show like mine or eventually go on Mike Moore's show or something guess what you're going to inspire five or six or seven other people that are going to say, you know what? I'm going to build my own butcher shop in the backyard. You lead by example by actually right. doing it. You're not going to go and save it. You're not exactly. riding into Washington on a horse with a musket and you're going to free the Congress yep. or whatever the hell people think is going to happen. You know, this comes out of Silicon right. Valley. It's coming out of Switzerland. It's coming out of the United Nations. Like, you're, you're not going to change the world. You can change your own no. personal life and then lead by example is what I Think.
1: exactly i agree with you 100 percent. yep code totally and it's, yeah you know i mean even for me you know i you know we got weeds all over the place right and when i'm on the mountain all my animals are on the mountain with me there's nothing here during the summer the pasture grows up weeds grow in my corrals and i remember looking back at 2016 when i got my herd we got well, right now we only got eight horses, but <clears throat> brought them back down off the mountain and turned them out. And I'm like, they've been on the mountain all summer. They have mountain feed, all this, you know, good feed where come home. They're going to go out to the pasture. They went right to the corral and spent days just milling around the corral, eating those weeds. <laughs> and I'm going, there's something in there that they need because they're not stupid. They don't eat poison if they don't have to. And I'm like, there's something out there. There's something. That. And then, you know, the, now, I'm, you know, start to learn to identify the, the, the foliage on your property. I don't care if you live in town. I mean, everybody has dandelions, and we're spraying the son of a bucks with Roundup to kill them to have a pretty looking yawn, a pretty looking yard, and yet the whole entire plant is edible, and we're killing them. I mean, things like that. Well, you don't even have to work at it, and you can have food. You know, so yeah. we start to learn. You know, it's just small scale. Learn to identify what's what's in your yard.
0: You know, fried, some of it's fried. medicinal. Fried, da- fried dandelion flowers are delicious by the way uh, they are I've never fantastic. Had that yet. oh they're actually really good um i i, I well while, while you were talking before i looked something up and i just want to point this out to folks uh as a reason why um you know i've said my, my solutions plan is really um, educate yourself and others. Continue to educate yourself about your enemy, the history of the enemy, what they're doing today, where they're going, because that's going to allow you to build better plans and more realistic goals to get around them. You want to uh, begin to insulate yourself and your family from some of the stuff. I mean, everyone's going to be different because we're all willing to tolerate the technocracy you know, uh, to, to varying degrees. And then you want to start to, in my opinion, separate yourself from densely populated areas. Then start to congregate with like-minded folks, build a community of folks around you, and then accelerate. Like Accelerate means you got to start putting your foot on the gas and working towards these. At least start to write your goals down and start to figure out, okay, if you need cash to get land or you're going to need cash... To put together a water purification system or something like that. You know, those are the things you have to start to figure out. But as you mentioned earlier, start also thinking about working smarter and not necessarily harder, or Mm -hmm. in this phase, work smart and hard, you know, so that you can start to generate additional food coupons beyond just trading your labor for 10 or 15 or $20 an hour. You have to think bigger than that if you want to accelerate your plans. But I want to point this out why it's important because you were talking about ranching and a lot of people now are starting to pay attention to food and grocery stores and supply chains and fake meat and all this other nonsense that's out there. You were saying on this piece of land that you're working that you're uh, you said back whatever 20 30 years ago that piece of land may be allowed to have 5 to 6000 uh, cattle on it. Now it's down to 2000, right? So it's 33% of what was allowed. Uh, So one, they're reducing the number of cattle that you can have. Now, the population around the world has obviously increased, right? So in America, it's probably 100 million more people uh, today than there were back then. Then on top of it, folks, and I brought this up on other shows, you have the federal government controlling at least about 27% of the land in the United States. When you add in the control of state governments, they control over 50% of the land. So this is where you have these ranchers having to do deals with the uh, forestry, Department or with the Bureau of Land Management to be able to graze these cattle. So the government controls the land that you need to raise the cattle. Then you have the population growing, and then you have the government setting new rules that are reducing the number of cattle that they can have on the land. And then there's all kinds of policies and regulations that go in between that They have the ability to choke out the supply chain on the meat, on the vegetables, on everything else. This is why it's so important to figure out, even if you're living on a half acre in the suburb and you're stuck there. That's where you're going to be for the next 10 years. You have no ability to go buy land and start a homestead to figure out how to start turning your half acre into a piece of land that can produce food for you uh, enough for your family. Maybe you have an abundance and you can use that to trade with neighbors or sell it to them, you know, black market style. People do that on Facebook Marketplace for cash that then you can use to go buy meat from a local farmer, organic meats and stuff like that. I mean, these are the way this is the way i think people have to start thinking because when you look at it the federal government has the ability to choke us all out uh we experienced that during covid Mm -hmm. land the high school theater production this is why i think it's important to start to first off develop your own supply chain you know as far as food goes uh you know doing stuff yourself and working with local farmers i mean that's number one to me because uh other than food there's not much else that matters if you can't feed yourself you're in deep trouble
1: absolutely absolutely yeah it's yeah (laughs) you're dead because you starved to death that you know how can you what good are you to your family your society you're you're gone
0: well i mean if you go if you go back um you know, just go back 150, 200 years ago. I mean, you as the, say, the man in the household, what were you doing? You'd get up, your job in the morning was going out and killing a squirrel, a rabbit, a deer, and bringing the food back home to your family. That's, that's what you actually did for your job. See, part of the problem is we've gotten so far away from what, humans actually did. So now we create all this uh middlemen stuff and you have to go to work at a cubicle to get the food coupons, to buy the meat, to then bring it home. Yeah, we've separated ourselves so far away from what we were wired to do. That's why I think trying to get back to, like you said, the lifestyle of ranching. If you can figure out how to do it in a smart way, you have more time to spend with your family, you have more time to live your life, and then you're supplying food, you know, for your table, the more that i think you can separate yourself from having to go to the matrix job the closer you can get back to like hunting and gathering um to me mm-hmm. i think you're going to naturally be more happy but part of it is you have to remove yep and i started doing this a few years ago you have to remove this This illusion that somehow you have to compete with the Joneses, that you are not successful if you don't have a 6,000 square foot McMansion, or you are not successful if you don't have seven BMW payments, or you're not successful unless you have an 82-inch flat screen TV in your house. Like To me, you you have to start to separate yourself. Is success having your own butchering shop in your backyard and your ability to grow and can and pickle vegetables and canned meats? Uh, and then be able to provide for your family even when supply chains get shut down, or is success that you have a seven hundred and eighty-two dollar a month payment on a new BMW? I don't. To some people, that is success, but that BMW isn't going to do much for you uh, when, when the supply chains yeah. shut
1: down. You know. Oh yeah. So I like even here, you know, what's because oil and gas is really big around here. It's, the state's kind of squashed it, but here in the last several years. But still, it's big. But you know, I mean, Colorado being an expensive state, the price of fuel. I think because we drive diesel vehicles, the price of diesel I think is like at four fifty nine a gallon, and that's it was getting to six six fifty this summer, somewhere around there. Uh-huh. And like I said, a lot of people and gas never really changed, but gas is still expensive. So you know, people aren't making you know hourly. Right wages have not gone up. You know, in comparison or in relation to inflation, inflation went to what, eight, eight, nine percent. Now it's dropped back down to seven percent, somewhere in there.
0: Supposedly, and, yeah.
1: You know, yeah, 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 supposedly. I'm not just going off their, their numbers. Yeah. I mean, we know it's worse than that. <laughs> but then, you know, so banks don't pay any in interest anymore to have money in the savings account. We're in a credit union and we're earning 0.5% interest. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're, so you're losing money to be in the cash system, to have money in the bank, you're losing money. You are literally losing money. So you know, as, as food's in cri- increased in price, fuels increased, you know, wages haven't and people are have, you know, high property tax, they have their taxed out if it exists, it gets taxed anymore. So what happens when the price gets to where you can't drive to work anymore. You can no longer you can't buy food. You're literally having to choose what you're gonna buy to be able to to make it. Yeah. You know, it's gonna be you know, think back to the like 1930s after the stock market crash and then the Great Depression. I have family, there's people in this area that literally just left their ranches because they could not make it anymore. They just walked off to go find work. I don't mm-hmm. want to be that way. I want to be able to be able to make a living without having to make a living, you know, I want to be able to live, you know? And so, but people aren't prepared for that, you know? So every bubble that could be created right now, it looks like they're all going to pop. I think they'll, I personally believe they're going to pop, you know, kind of in succession and it's just going to, it's going to be devastating. I mean, we're not supposed to be in these kind of bubbles. They're, 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 they're fictitious. They're created, but everybody's bought into it so much. They're so invested in it that, When it does happen, you know, there's no way you could tell me that our five acres is worth $500,000. You can't, there's no way. But yet that's what they value it at. And I'm like, that's that's stupid. We didn't pay that much when we bought it in 19 or in 2004. But, you know, so people, you know, you get home equity loans and so on and so forth. You're tied to it. And then when it goes up, you're going to lose it. You know, so when it actually resets to what it's what the real value is, you know, you're going to see places worth 5 million dollars go to 5 dollars. That's the <laughs> yeah. time to buy in. That's the time to look at real estate.
0: Justin, you could sell your uh 5 acres for a half a million and move here, you can get yourself a 1200 square foot three-level townhouse for 500 plus another 200 if you want. I swear to God, it's right, insanity! Right. It's insanity. Um, that's one of the reasons why it we look in West is. Virginia because it's kind of the, one of the last, um, yeah, you know, the last frontiers. There's still affordable land, but it moves so fast. Like there was a piece I was going to buy last year. It was uh, twelve acres, and it had an old two level farmhouse on it with the wrap porch and the top and the bottom. And it listed oh, for one twenty five. Okay, it it was gone in about <laughs> seven seven minutes after it listed. Those those ones you have to be ready. I believe it with, with basically the, the cash sitting in and the account ready to wire it like immediately. But no, they they move quick. We just saw another one yep. that was really good. That unfortunately, I mean that that was gone in twenty four hours. But yeah, I mean this is all part of the plan. Like you have to have your ducks in a row and ready to. uh ready to jump on this stuff um, if you're serious about doing it. But I I think you're right about that. You know, make a living doesn't necessarily mean go to work and make boatloads of useless uh, fiat currency. You know, make a living is building like a life, really. Uh, It just depends on on your vision. And I think a lot of us have gotten – I thought a lot of people – Because of COVID Land, the high school theater production, I started to see people coming out of this illusion of what the American dream was going back to really, I would say, post-World War II when we started building up the suburbs. And you had this vision that you were supposed to save a bunch of money to send your kid to college. Uh, And then you were supposed to save more money so that you could retire to Disney World and play golf for the rest of your life. Like, that was pretty much like the the suburban American dream for a while. And I think COVID land kind of woke people up to it. I mean, that's what I, I was saying, had the conversation with my wife. I said, listen, we've got this 10 acres in Poland. Let's work on building something up over there. We've got this plan to do something possibly in West Virginia. Let's get that done. That's what we're going to leave our son. He could turn around and sell that if he wants to, uh, once it's built up. Or right. he could decide to live on it like Ted Kaczynski, if he feels like it. Huh? Whatever whatever floats his boat. Right. Um, but I'm not worried about putting money aside for college. I said, after COVID land, I don't even think there's going to be such a thing as college or university or whatever 15 years from now. I don't even think that system's going to exist. Yeah, I said, so trying to plan for uh you know even trying to push your kid towards a career with the exponential growth of technology the majority of career careers that you see today are not even going to exist 15 years from now it's not even going to exist so our plan uh i think i mentioned to you as i said i'm going to teach him everything from you know being a, a computer programmer to uh living off the land like a full amish style um and then you know he right. could land anywhere in between i mean once he's uh, 13 14 15 because uh when you raise your kid you know homeschooled and it, it's not going to just be book homeschool we've got a whole plan for this your kid kind of reaches manhood oh, a little earlier by 12 13 like you said yep. your dad was a rancher star, uh, riding around on horses starting at 12 years Old and worked on that through high school so when you raise your kid that way they uh, become a man a lot faster you don't have to wait till your kid is 18 when you homeschool to go up oh, he's graduating from the public indoctrination center he's ready to go off to college <laughs> like, you, you don't have to wait that long if you yeah. homeschool
1: yeah they weren't indoctrinated heavily enough let's send them off to more <laughs>
0: and let's pay for it. Let let's strap uh, three hundred yeah, thousand exactly. dollars in debt on this kid and send him off into the world at twenty two, with uh, with a couple hundred yep. grand in debt. That ought to do him a lot of good. So, hey, let me ask you, because you mentioned this to me, and I brought it up at the beginning of the show. I had been doing research on – I looked into cloud seeding and stuff years ago. Uh, It's it's Mm -hmm. not a conspiracy theory. It's totally real. There's at least eight states that do it. Colorado is one. You can go to Colorado uh, government website. They talk all about it. What's your knowledge of – of cloud seeding um is it good is it bad in some cases we're spraying silver iodide and uh dry ice and stuff into the air have you heard from any of the people in your area you said you know someone who has a cloud seeding machine i don't even know what that looks like um do the chemicals end up actually coming down in the rainfall and hurting crops what what have you heard about it
1: Well, what goes up has got to come back down. I mean, whether it comes back down in snow or rain, you know, there's that cycle. It doesn't matter. Um, I don't know a whole lot about it, but the one of the ranchers that I is on the pool that I ride for, he's got one of the bigger ranches here. He has uh, I think it was around, we were doing two years ago. He hires me to preg check his cows, help pregnancy check. And they have a big lunch and everything middle of the day. And then we go back out and finish. But We were sitting around and he got a a call from, I don't know who it was. I want to say the state, but I don't know. I think it is. And so he's got a cloud seeder on his property and it's just a big, huge, looks like a big propane tank um, with a, uh, like a torch. And he'll go out when they call him and say, yeah, go ahead and fire up the cloud seeder. He'll go out and fire it up. And it just sends the silver iodide up into the atmosphere, um, and so they're all over the state. I do know that he told me that they're all over, and so he the ones he the one he runs because generally the weather pattern here is it goes from west to east. So they do it a lot for a lot of reasons, and they've been doing it for a long time. I remember when I was at the sheriff's office, guys were talking about it that they were doing it, especially for like Vale aspen ski resorts because snow you can't have a ski resort if you don't have snow and that's a major huge tourism industry for this state but what he would turn it on is what it would it would it supposedly benefits the eastern the land so the ones that if they want it for the snow here the storm here they'll the ones farther down south or would they, i think they watch the pattern so like if it's coming out of like Southern California coming up that way. The the, the people that have the cloud seeders, they'll have them fire them up through that pattern. Or if it's coming in from like um, northern Utah, Oregon, that kind of um, direction, it up from that lane to come, and, you know, wherever they're going. But and I mean, you can. I'm outside all the time, and I can see. I know the difference between what contrails are and chemtrails, and they hang in the cloud, they'll hang in the sky for all day long, and then all of a sudden it's like it is today where you have these flimsy clouds that don't even look natural. I never saw this kind of stuff when I was a kid, you know, that just completely block out the sun, you know? Yeah, so they're, I I mean, didn't, they're... I mean, I knew what it was, and I know they do do the airplanes, but then to have actual ranchers that have them on their place, and they're, they're subsidized, I don't know how much, I didn't ask him, but they do... You know, get subsidized to have that on their place.
0: That's what I was just going to ask you. I, I would imagine now that, that that would be managed by uh, the Colorado, uh, like like some branch of the government, right? I believe so. I don't quote me on that. I did never really look into it, but that would be my guess. Come on, you got to get one of those on your uh, property. <laughs> <laughs> Not in this lifetime. <laughs> no, see, that that was the only thing. Like, you know, I continue to do research on this because I'm like, all right, I understand. Uh, I mean, it's been a goal of governments for, for a long time to be able to control the weather. It's just interesting that... Mm-hmm. On one hand, they'll sit there and say you're a conspiracy theorist if you say the government's controlling the weather, and then you go look it up and you're like, well, they're not lying. I mean, the federal government is. I mean, has admitted to it. They're not. It's not a secret. Yeah, uh, during Vietnam, they the, yeah
1: they have admitted doing it during Vietnam. So I mean, yeah, yeah they it, ended up putting together yeah, an international
0: yeah. treaty that apparently a bunch of governments signed saying that they wouldn't use weather manipulation uh, as a form of warfare. So it, it's. Right. Uh, You know, it's just interesting. I just didn't know if you've ever heard anything down and around there. If, uh, you know, the the chemicals and stuff that are sprayed end up causing more damage uh, than they do in, um, you know, in the good they do by creating rain or or snow or whatever when they actually need it. Uh, Actually, hold on, folks. I'm going to just pull this up on the screen because I want to show you. This is um, cwcb.colorado.gov. And this is uh, the Weather Modification Program. This is right on Colorado's website. It says the Colorado Water Conservation Board administers Colorado's weather modification program, which issues weather modification permits, monitors weather modification activities, and keeps the public informed about the state's weather modification activities. Colorado has conducted weather modification operations and research since the 1950s, and a program to permit weather modification has existed since 1972. After the significant drought starting mm-hmm. in early 2000, many new water modification, uh, weather modification permits have been developed. Colorado is a strategic state with the headwaters of eight major river basins. And downstream states are reliant on the snowpack and stream flow generated in Colorado. So, and then, like, so if people want to look at this, it's cwcb.colorado.gov. It actually goes into the whole thing. I think, uh, yeah, there's permanent programs. You can, They have actually this whole interactive board. So, probably if I wanted to spend the time, I could read about that rancher, you know, about the program they're involved with. Um, I just find it to be interesting, and and again, like when you're spraying, in some cases it's um, silver iodide, there's another chemical, as well as dry ice, different combinations. But they also admit to spraying this stuff Mm -hmm. out of airplanes as well. So when they sit there and say, you know, the chemtrails thing is a conspiracy theory, and, and same as you, I mean, I'm 41. That that stuff didn't exist when I was a kid. There was not crisscross patterns every other day all over the sky. No. Um, And just the other day, we were out. uh, There's a little mountain near us, and we were out watching the sunset. And I'm watching, like, two planes flying that had... Trails coming out of the back that were hanging in the air, and then there was two other planes. Now they'll say they're at different altitudes, and then nothing coming out of the back. And then there was crisscross patterns all over the place. I've seen it over here. When uh, I have photographs I took, like five, six o'clock in the morning one day on a on a sunrise, there was crisscrosses. There had to be I don't know thirty of them. And then I came back home. This is when I used to go out and work. I came back home for lunch. They were still there in the same place, barely dispersed at all, and then came back at like six o'clock mm-hmm. at night when it was sunset, and they were all still hanging there. I mean, I'm like, what? This is crazy, um, and that's yeah. that's that's one of the things. And I was going to ask you if you knew about this at all because you mentioned the greenhouse earlier. One of the things I'm getting into in my research. Again, planning ahead and setting realistic goals, but also trying to be ahead of the, the technocrats and the elites here. So what I don't want to do is go farm a half acre or an acre on my land and then have the government just say crop dust it and kill it all, right? Or the soil's totally polluted. I was wondering if there is the ability... Or if you've ever heard anyone, if, if you were going to grow, say you were going to regenerate soil and make some healthy soil, or you had a really good source, like we buy soil from the, the Amish, um, and then you uh, do a greenhouse that's got a covering, or you build a big uh, metal you know, steel building that you're going to farm inside of, and then you have soil, so you don't have to grow totally hydroponic, and you can grow in soil indoors. Mm-hmm. Uh, And basically insulate yourself from any of the stuff that might get sprayed and comes down through the air or comes up through the soil. So this way, if you're going to put all the time and money into building a garden, maybe you build it in a different way than you normally would because you're trying to insulate against uh, these toxins and this pollution.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just starting to look into that kind of stuff. But then you also got to consider your water what's your water source? You know, is it city water? Is it town water? That's all treated. It's got the, you know, wonderful chlorine and fluoride in it. So that's going to be in your plant. So you can go through all this effort to keep it protected from the environment, but in, you know, then everybody's not everybody, but then your, your water source, you know, that's something else to look into. You know, I mean, that's, and like I say, you know, so, I mean, when I was a kid, it was nothing to have, you know, 10, 15, sometimes 20 feet of snow up here on top of the Grand Mesa, and I think we're they're right around oh maybe six feet of snow this year. So we're getting back in there, but for the last several seven, eight years we haven't really had winter here. I mean, it's it's been winter, but we have not had the amount of snow. So we've had a few years where the creeks just dry up. And back in the old timers, back in around the, in the early 1900s, they built reservoirs up here reservoir system with ditches a ditch system to get the water down so they would have water throughout the summer to irrigate their crops so you know you got to figure our water even though our well our well here on our place is about 170 feet deep Mm -hmm. you know still that water has to come from up high the water that's what i've learned riding in the mountains the water up high runs that's where the water comes from so the, if there's not enough water coming back up out of the aquifer, out of the mountains, then your water down low dries. If it doesn't, you know, come down so far, but then the water just goes back underground and it doesn't get down here. And every snowflake, every raindrop is accounted for in Nevada and California and Arizona through the Colorado River. And that's where all of our creeks feed into, you know. So, you know, that all that cloud seeding, <laughs> if, if they're doing it to produce snow or they're doing it to prevent it. Whichever I don't know. Sometimes probably both, depending on what they're doing. Mm. It comes back down through the in the snow and the and the rain, and it goes into the ground. You know
0: exactly. So, yeah, exactly. A, and that's an so, yeah, the, the gentleman I mentioned to you that uh, does the the mash fed cattle, uh, he does he collects a lot of rain uh, water for his. Uh, plants and stuff, mm-hmm. but that's something I was looking into too. Because I was, if I if I was going to build an indoor growing system, the next phase would be. Um, oh, there was a nice property I saw in West Virginia that had a a nice heavy flowing stream running through it but again i mean there's been a lot of pollution from dupont and others in west virginia as well so just because it's coming down from the mountains in a stream doesn't mean the water isn't polluted but if you can actually start to build or think in the direction of building a water purification type system i mean these are the things yeah look and and you could drive yourself crazy sometimes but it's the same as creating a business like you don't come up with a business idea today and then go pay a web designer fifteen thousand dollars Tomorrow, to build you a website and do your branding and marketing until you make sure that that business is feasible. Um, that you can actually do it. You want to know who your competitors are, uh, where you're going to get your clients, how you're going to do your marketing and advertising. Same thing I look at is building a homestead, is you got to do the homework. So when you finally go, okay, it's going to take us three years from start to finish to get this done, you're working off a set of plans and a blueprint that's going to get you to exactly where you want to be. Uh, and some of the things you're going right. to have to, uh, there's going to be a give and take on some stuff. Some things might not be realistic. I might have to say, well, we can't afford to do that. I'm just going to have to do a regular garden and hope for the best. You know, there's certain things that you're going to realize right. that you can't do. Like, all right, we don't have an extra hundred thousand to build a steel building. All right, that's not going to happen. Now, what can I do? Um, right. But that's how we're thinking through a lot of this. So I'm definitely going to get a cloud seeding machine. That's definitely, I'm ordering one on Amazon right now. so uh, uh <laughs> let, let me let me just ask you this before before we uh before we wrap up because on twitter i've seen you say to people um you know where you've said i'm ready to just get on my horse and <laughs> ride ride off into the sunset and you'll see people say uh, <laughs> yeah yeah right justin uh and you've posted pictures obviously of yourself <laughs> on the horse so um so your plans now for the future you're thinking you're starting to do your research talk to people obviously you have more people around you that are that are doing this kind of stuff than i do even though we were starting to build a community of these local organic farmers but i mean that's your plan you guys are going to start trying to figure out how to turn your five acres into sort of a more sustainable model for yourself
1: yeah that's that's the short term for us i mean eventually i'd like to Yeah, as much as I love Colorado, I mean, it's where I was born and raised, you know, looking at places like even Alabama, Arkansas, Tennessee, that kind of area where it'd be, you have more water, it's better, it's easier land to live on year round, you know, you don't Mm -hmm. have those harsher winters as we do. But being able to, yeah, to live sustainably as much as we can. I mean, at one point, I even had my own biodiesel making system that I had here in the house. Unfortunately, because of winter and we don't have a heated garage, it made it really difficult, nearly impossible to make my own biodiesel in the winter time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's another thing. You know, if you can't, that, that's no another rabbit hole with all, with, with fuel and regulations on engines and so forth. But being able to produce my own biodiesel, you know, I mean, I was, it cost me at that time. And that was, oh, I'm gonna say probably around 2006, 2007. It was costing me roughly seventy-three, seven between seventy and seventy-five cents a gallon, and I wow. have a Dodge uh, two-thousand. Yeah, it was so it would have been 0607 because I have an 06 Dodge Cummins, and I was running biodiesel and one hundred percent biodiesel in my my Cummins, and so I was able to make a round trip between on my rodeo circuit from Colorado. We drove to Kalispell, Montana, from Kalispell, Montana to Thief River Falls, Minnesota. And I had three fifty-five gallon drums of biodiesel strapped in the bed of my pickup, <laughs> as redneck as you could get. <clears throat> I even got pulled over in Wyoming. I was speeding a little bit, not bad. And the cop pulled me over just to make sure that I was running wasn't running red fuel. And I'm like, no, it's it's biodiesel. And he believed me and off on my way. But I made the whole trip. And then until we got to coming back home, I had to st- we had to stop in Sterling, Colorado, in the northeastern corner, and filled up the truck with with diesel out of the, the fueling station and then made it home from there cool. so you know being able even thinking like that you know being able yeah. to produce your own fuel which is very feasible you know so yeah because what you don't uh, do you, that
0: you know you you just said red fuel Are you talking about home heating oil is that what you were talking about <laughs> no no, yeah. no red fuel is non
1: taxed diesel and it's dyed no. red so that way
0: yeah yeah no no and uh, at least when i grew up in connecticut okay home heating oil was the same thing as diesel and it was dyed red. So one one of my father's friends who was a contractor uh, and had a a few crews working for him. So he had some big, uh, you know, diesel trucks, you know, big pickup trucks and stuff. He had now folks, this is illegal, But we're talking, thinking outside the box Mm -hmm. here. Uh, So diesel was always more expensive than the home heating fuel. So what did he do? He was friends with the guy that owned the home heating oil company. So he put a 1,200-gallon tank buried in his yard in his backyard and he would get the home heating fuel and that's how he would fill up his uh, pickup trucks for work now the difference is we just got home heating oil uh, delivered about a month ago i don't know it's still five dollars a gallon or something so it's not that cheap you know right
1: no but now you can get red fuel and that's what the farmers you know the ranchers run in their tractors you know you know it's red fuel but you know, so that way it, it's non-taxed. So in Colorado, it's right at about forty cents a gallon cheaper. That's about how many the state tax. So the yeah. state tax is not in the red fuel. <clears throat> but yeah, okay, so so he wanted so to no, make so sure that I wasn't running that in my truck.
0: Yeah, you were You you weren't like some uh, bootlegger running around with. Uh with the fuel in the back. I, I see, folks, this is the ridiculousness yeah. of government and uh, regulations and pol- all this nonsense. See, this is the stuff you have to try to work around. That's what like earlier you were saying, the matrix is everywhere. And so th- that's all part oh, of yeah. it. like. You find a way to work or Look, if everyone was making biofuel, the next thing you know, the legislators come to town and they pass a law. You're no longer allowed to make biofuel. They will say because it's dangerous, uh, but it's really because you figured out how to how to get a um, pay seventy cents a gallon for fuel. That's why they do it. Yeah. I mean it's it's insanity. Yeah, you know, and,
1: it's, it's, yeah and, and it is. Well, in Colorado, they have a law, and I don't remember exactly since so it's been several years, but you could produce. I think it, it was an insane amount of fuel per person. So with just my wife and I, I think it was like we could produce 2,400 gallons of biodiesel per year per person. I can't burn forty eight hundred gallons of fuel in a year, so it, and so you and you're not taxed. They don't they don't regulate it, but not enough people do it, you know. So mm. there's really not a concern. But yeah,
0: you know wow, that's another that's cool. way to think
1: outside the box.
0: Is, Definitely. I mean, I'll I'll just give an example here, because it's one I've been using throughout the show. So I've been talking a little bit about, um, and I know we we talked about gold on uh, our show, but I've been looking into, Mm -hmm. um, in simple terms, buying scrap gold, and then I've been uh, taking some courses on refining uh, gold, Uh and... So I start looking here in the, in the state of Maryland the other day, you know, just to make sure, you know, before you start advertising that you're buying gold. And what do I find? And this is just the way the state of Maryland works. Okay, I've got to get a license from the government to be able to buy precious metals from people, like literally to buy their broken jewelry. Uh, not only that, I have to have a physical business building to be able to get the license. And I have to store the precious metals that I'm buying in this business building, and if I have a safe located anywhere else or a storage facility... I have to have this on the government forms telling them where I store the precious metals that I'm going to be buying. I mean, this is the government, folks. So you go, hey, I got an idea because there's there's a pretty big profit margin there. It's a way to make some, some quick cash, uh, you know, more than you you're going to tra- trade your, um, you know, when I do graphic and web design for people, I'm trading my time for dollars. This you can make more. Right. So I'm like, okay, now I have to get a license for the government to buy it have a physical office building there you go now i need brick and mortar that's costing me a lot of money then i have to tell them where i'm storing it where my safe is and this is all going to be registered with the government who's the biggest criminals on the planet and then on top of it even if they weren't it's sitting there now on paper telling any criminal who does research where i store my gold that i'm going to be uh, melting down i'm like this is insanity so they force you to have to think creative like i don't know I can do it with a West Virginia license in the state of Maryland. Oh wait, I don't. I'm in the state of West Virginia. I don't even have to be licensed there. I don't have to have a physical building. Right. I, you know, I'm like, all right, well, there we go. I guess I'm setting up shop in West Virginia because Maryland made it so right. difficult. You know, it's crazy. And
1: it's, it's none of their business, but it's it's control. It's control.
0: But don't worry, if this was years ago, you'd be coming out as the deputy sheriff, slapping the cuffs on me, uh, (laughs) telling me that uh, I'm violating the law. Sir, you bought a gold necklace off an old woman without your proper license and your safe uh, filed with the government. (laughs) We have to arrest you.
1: Right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. The insanity of that. The insanity.
0: Yep. All right, Justin. So, are you on? So now, do you go out uh, and cowboy while it's snowing, or the cattle are off? They go graze on their own during this time of uh, year.
1: This time of year, no. They're all the cattle are on their respective ranches, and so this time of year, pretty much what I usually do is I've got horses that I take in and train, um, but I'm also looking at other starting some different businesses of myself um Kind of online type of stuff. (laughs) You know, like so, because unfortunately it's, you know, pretty icy this year. It's been warm, then it turns really cold. So it's kind of difficult to ride in, and I don't have the, you know, big facility to be able to ride indoors or anything like that. So, but generally I take in colts during the wintertime, fall through the spring, and ride them in this kind of stuff. And then, you know, send them home as broke horses, you know, so they can be ridden. Um, but, but yeah, it's pretty much it's wintertime. There's just some of the ranchers, they, they send their cattle to the BLM. So they'll have a BLM permit
0: wow. that
1: they graze during the wintertime down in the low valleys. Um, but for the most part, most of the cattle are at home and the ranchers and their ranch hands take care of their cattle this time of year. So oh, okay. I'm out of work from pretty much November till June oh okay with them anyway
0: yeah so all right that's cool so you train horses and stuff all right well is there anything else um you want to say before we uh before we take off i appreciate you gave me uh over two hours of your time so i really appreciate that
1: no no i've been it's been a wonderful time talking to you this has been good
0: yeah i think it's exciting so here's i'll just tell you here's uh my plan depending on uh I mean, look. I, I like to understand the history and where we are today, where this stuff is going. I think it's only going to get worse for people that um, that continue to live, or, you know, or, or don't make moves to get outside of this system or get ahead of this system. But I also, like I said, I don't, I don't like to get so dark. And I go, look, if I don't have my plans done in two years, that's it. It's over. Um, I yeah, right. I'm already prepared to go through another fake pandemic because I'm mentally prepared for it, you know. So I'm ready to to deal with that. But one of our plans is uh and unfortunately Willie's G is only uh 8 weeks old cuz he's not really I remember as a kid, I don't remember much before I was like 4 or 5. So I got to wait till he's like 4 right. or 5, but our ultimate plan for the kickoff of his uh homeschool mm-hmm. is if I'm still doing this show at which point, hopefully, you know, the audience is going to continue to grow on more money coming in, can invest more back into the show. Because I ultimately plan to do sort of an Anthony Bourdain style where I'm on the road, let's say meeting with someone like you, and oh, then okay. we're, go- we're going out on your horses. Yeah. So the, the plan for Willie is right uh, when he's like four or five, we go out in an RV. I have it all set up ahead of time. We go cross country, make multiple stops, meet up with people like you, film some stuff for the show, and then he gets to learn... Like uh, cowboying from you. That's like a whole homeschool lesson right there. Like a day out... Uh, riding around with the cattle you know hopefully at this point you'll be butchering and so i want to take them on like you know a hundred stops over the course of a year all across the country meet interesting people and at the same time i turn it into content so i should be able to monetize it and that keeps uh, fuel in the tank but maybe by that time i'll be making some biofuel for the rv so (laughs) right hey there you go (laughs)
1: well i'll I'll tell you what my friend you're welcome here anytime when you you bring your family and we'll make a time of it
0: Yeah, I'll be riding around with a 40-foot trailer off the back of the RV with uh, uh, 50-gallon drums of that biofuel. So, (laughs) (laughs) There you go. There you go. (laughs) All right, Uh, Justin. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate it.
1: You're welcome. Thank you.
0: Have a wonderful day. Stay safe and stay clear of that uh, cloud-seeding rain. You never know what's in that stuff.
1: <laughs> no kidding! Yeah, exactly. Staying clear of that.
0: <laughs> all right, thank you, sir. Uh, all right, it. man. Well, you take care. Have a great day. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Justin. Great conversation. See, folks, I love when people from the audience. Uh, reach out. I've got a lot more people uh, that are on the schedule right now that are be going to be coming on the show. So the other day we got to talk to Mark, who's on pain.tv slash gold. I met Justin through Twitter. He also listens to Legal Man and The Quash. So I have... Uh, Wide Awake Jim, he's coming back tomorrow to continue his discussion on central bank digital currency. And then I've got some people coming on from my life, Farmer Carol, who I told you owns that community-supported agriculture farm. She also raises cattle. She has goats. Uh, Really interesting woman. Now, she came from the left. She was a tree-hugging hippie. All right, And then at 50 years old, she decided to start this farm, and it has been uh, just growing and growing. She's 70 years years old now. In fact, I wish I could buy her farm off her. She's thinking about retiring soon. But we're going to have her on. We'll discuss all that. I've got our doula, uh, a couple of the midwives set up to come on that help my wife with her home birth. So this is great we're just growing this is going to be an organic show bring people on from this community we're going to continue to talk about all these different topics and how you can start to escape from the matrix hopefully figure out how to live one foot in and one foot out so you can make those food coupons when you need them but then you can withdraw from the system and be able to survive outside of that system all right ladies and gentlemen please leave us a five star review on apple Podcasts along with a comment if you have not done so feel free to make a donation to the show it keeps the lights on here puts food on my table as we begin to monetize this podcast that's donorbox.org slash Show, or you can join us over at pain.tv slash gold you're going to get access to a like-minded folks uh group of a like-minded group uh, of folks out there ladies and gentlemen and access to a facebook-like mobile application website people are on there we're starting groups talking about canning and gardening, uh farming. Uh, People like Justin, you know, are over there. I saw someone recently talking about butchering and hunting. I mean, it's a fantastic group of people. Uh, People can still argue about politics on there if you want to, but I look at it as more of a place where I can teach others and learn from others. So think about joining that, ladies and gentlemen. I will see you tomorrow with Wide Awake Jim to continue dissecting his 200 documents on central bank, digital currency, and the international bankers. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin gold of the dust and gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold
1: the matrix is a computer generated dream world Mm. built to keep us under control in order to
0: change a human being you're listening to the dust and gold standard on pain.tv join the discussion